With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. That's 1-800-375-4188. For the very best in gold and silver trading, call toll free 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. Call now. Countries have denied Internet access for their people during civil strife. The FCC seized in-use commercial shortwave frequencies right after the September 11th attacks. No one communication system can be depended on to be there when you need information. You need choices. You need a KU band free-to-air satellite system from AVR. The AVR system includes a receiver, an LNB, and a 75-centimeter dish. All you need to get on your own is the coaxial cable. The system is delivered to your door for $149. That's right, delivered for $149.99. That's the shipping and the system, $149.99. Call 541-225-4659. That's 541-225-4659. Or visit AmericanVoiceRadio.com and click Satellite System. Studies have shown that the farm soil we get our vegetables from is dead, meaning it is depleted of minerals. Sulfur is a mineral. Sulfur has been depleted from the soil, which means most people have been depleted of sulfur. Sulfur has been found to transport oxygen throughout the body. You need oxygen. You need organic sulfur. American Voice Radio Network has organic sulfur. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com and then to the Superstore to order your organic sulfur. It's your choice. Do you want to feel better or not? Don't forget to tune in to the Sulfur Hour Plus One on AmericanVoiceRadio.com, Thursdays, 6 p.m. Pacific. Ancient prophetic texts warn us that in the last days there will be wars and rumors of war, famines, pestilence, earthquakes in many places, and troublesome times, men feigning from fear from what is coming upon the earth. Even though these words were penned almost 2,000 years ago, we can readily see that this dire warning is applicable in the days in which we are living in now. Days of Chaos, a new book by L.A. Marzulli, exposes what is happening in the Middle East, the Fukushima disaster, the mysterious animal and fish die-off, the rise of the 8.0 and greater earth the coming one world government, the collapse of the U.S. dollar, UFO activity, and so much more. Days of Chaos has the information you need in these troublesome times. Don't be afraid of these events. Come to an understanding of why they are happening as they were prophesied long ago. These are the Days of Chaos. Go to www.lamarzuli.net. www.lamarzuli.net. These are the Days of Chaos. 
Most people realize their body needs clean water to function properly. Pure is the cleanest water, also known as distilled water. Some frauds pushing fake science and ignorant people repeating their disinformation and half-truths will tell you distilled water leaches minerals from the body. What they fail to tell you is distilled water only attracts and flushes inorganic minerals from your body. These are minerals your body cannot process and can interfere with your proper body functions. Distilled water does flush these inorganic materials from your body and is an effective and natural way to cleanse your body. ABR sells a distiller that distills one gallon every three and a half hours. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com, click on the Superstore, go to the distiller, check the pricing and how to order, and watch the video explaining in detail why distilled water is pure water.
All right, good afternoon, all. This is the Frank Report. I'm your host, Francis Stephan. You're listening right here on American Voice Radio Network. It is Wednesday, October 4th, 2015. It's about seven and a half minutes past noon Pacific time, if that's when it is where you're at. We are, in fact, live, and that means you can participate in the show. 800-932-1980. That's the call-in number, the toll-free call-in number. You can also go to theamericanvoice.com or americanvoiceradio.com. That's the website. Everything you need to know about this network is found there. Plus, you can participate in the show from there by going to the chat room. You'll see the chat link. Just click it. You'll be in there, and you can participate or not. You can just chat with the other folks in there. You can also contact me directly using Yahoo Instant Messenger. My screen name is AVRN Talk. All right, so that's uh, all that. There's all the ways you can uh, participate or communicate or, you know, whichever. All right, let's see here. So much to, uh, you know, every day is the same. There, There's just so much, <laughs> you know, news after news after news. The headlines are just amazing. Like, uh, hey, how about radioactive honey found near nuclear pl- power station? Gee, that isn't supposed to be because, hey, what if, wait a minute, if the honey next to the nuclear reactor uh, has 14 times higher levels of cesium-137, uh... How about the people near this thing? This is in the UK, folks, but don't worry. <laughs> All our plants are past their due date anyway. What do I mean by that? You know, when you build something like a nuclear power plant, it's got a lifespan. You know, just like cars, just like anything. You know, they build cars and they okay, well... We call it planned obsolescence, but it's really just to build things to go, all right, under normal use, it's, uh, we're going to build it so it'll last this long. Past that, you know, you're on borrowed time and it's going to start cracking up and you're going to need a new one. That's the whole plan. Well, whether you do it just because you want to make more money and make everybody buy a new car every five years, or... You know, you're building a nuclear power plant. You want the thing to last, you know, 30, 40 years. But, you know, you really can't make it last longer than that. You build it to last, geez, as long as we can make something like this last. you got to understand what's going on with this thing. All nuclear power plants, folks, you know, they build real thick, big cement walls, and they probably line them with lead. But you have a nuclear radioactive uh, deal going on inside there. You got radioactive, highly radioactive rods that are boiling water. That's how radioactive they are. They boil water. They're so radioactive. Well, you know, how long can cement lead hold up to that? 20, 30, 40 years is quite a long time to be bombarded with heavily radioactive, uh, you know, particles. 
And it's going to break you down after a while. And hey, guess what? That while is here. We've got all these nuclear power plants in the United States. And, you know, the UK does. Europe does. France does. And, hey, Russia does too. I don't know what they're doing with theirs. Maybe they rebuild theirs. Maybe they, I don't know, maintain theirs. Maybe they do something different than we do here. Because we haven't built a new nuclear power plant in quite some time in this country. And I'm not suggesting that we do. Uh, We have a real problem with nuclear power. And it's not so much, oh, the nuclear power plants are so unsafe to operate. We see what can happen in Fukushima. So, you know, accidents can happen. And the thing about these accidents is they can't seem to stop them. Oh, well, we had an accident five years ago, and it's still going on, and it's not being fixed because, oh, well, we can't get to it. It's impossible. Okay, so let me get this straight. You built something that if it breaks, it's impossible to fix, and we all just have to be radiated? That's your plan? And there's how many of these around the world? But that's not the only problem, folks. You see, these plants were designed to, all right, We put these nuclear rods in here, they heat up the water, they boil the water, they run the turbines, and we have power. But they're going to wear out, they're going to stop boiling the water, we're going to need new rods. We're going to have to take the old rods out, put the new rods in. So these power plants were designed to take the old rods out, place them over there. You know, there's a spot set up, this is where it goes, and it goes over here. Put the new ones in. Now haul the old ones off to the nuclear waste, you know, dump. Well, see, we ran into a little snag. You know, regulators and environmentalists and everybody else ran into a wall and said, gee, you can't use these nuclear dumps. You can't transport the nuclear waste. You can't do whatever. It's got to stay where it's at. Well, okay. So now the next set of rods goes bad, and you got to pull them out, put them over where? Well, where? Well, just stack them on top of the other ones and put the new ones in. Well, that's been going on for a while. Now these nuclear power plant sites have piles and piles of nuclear waste just stacking up on site because there's nowhere to put it. There's nowhere to bring it. So it just stacks up at these nuclear power plants. And these nuclear power plants were never designed to store nuclear waste for any amount of time. They were only meant to store it long enough so it could be hauled off. It's not happening. So if something does happen to one of these nuclear power plants, you've also got to worry about not just the rods melting down in the core, you've got to worry about the nuclear waste dump that they've developed outside. Real problems, man. Now we got radioactive honey found near radioactive power station. How do you figure that happens? Well, my guess, and it is a guess, would be that, well, the radiation over so many years has finally permeated the cement structure of the of the plant and is now emanating radioactivity out from it. That would be my guess. But hey, I'm no nuclear scientist, so... Who knows? But nevertheless, radioactive honey has been found in the UK near a nuclear power station. 
Well, you know, the United States, here we are, biggest debtor nation in the world. Well, biggest debtor nation the world has ever seen. I mean, kind of. Because actually, we don't have any debt at all. Really, folks, this is a way to start looking at this. We don't really have any debt. Nothing was ever loaned. There is no real money. It's all just fantasy monopoly play money that a few people at the top get to control everything about, every aspect of, and they get to, you know, basically redistribute. They use these little pieces of fraud that they call money. How? Well, to transfer property from you to them. Yeah, they just spin out of nowhere. You know, they, they get everybody to write all this debt, and they say to everybody, hey, guess what? Debt is assets. Look at all this money everybody says they owe us. Well, it's not really money, and they don't really owe you because you never loaned anybody anything. But, hey, you know, <laughs> details, details. So you got, hey, look, look, all these people owe us all this money, so we have all these assets. So, uh, hey... Uh, we're going to go and we're going to buy this building. We're going to buy these farms. We're going to buy this. We're going to, you know, do that. Hey, thanks for the money, government. All these corporations took that bailout money, not to help the economy, but they put it in their coffers so they could go buy up smaller subsidiaries and suck up small companies into one big conglomerate. That's what's been going on. You notice all these mergers and takeovers and all that. Where did they get the money for that? They just run on down to the bank and say, hey, you know, I got a really great idea. I want to buy this uh, corporation over here for, you know, $300 billion. How about loaning me that, would you? Oh, sure. Hey, what's your business plan? What are you going to make? What are you going to do? No, 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 well, that's a, that's a trade secret. Yeah, there you go. It's a corporate trade secret. We can't tell you, but you got to give us the money. Somewhere, somehow, they get the money. Why? Where do you think the federal government's trillions of dollars, where do you think that went? Why do you think quantitative easing didn't help the economy overall? All it did was serve to boost up the stock market. Why do you think that is? Because every dime these corporations got from the federal government, they spent on buying their own stock, buying other companies to make their companies even bigger so they could show a bigger company on paper and pay bigger dividends to their greedy stockholders. That's why. And that meanwhile, their company doesn't produce anything. And, and, oh, now we have this, oh, well, shut it down, fire all those people because uh, it's costing us money. We got to cut costs, man. Yeah. So now you've got this shell of a company. Everybody's fired. It doesn't really make anything. But, hey, on paper, it's got a, a net worth of $200 billion. So, whoo-hoo, I'm going to go to the bank and I'm going to borrow that money. I'm going to buy something else. It's a scam. The United States, while we're doing this game, the United States government is given how many billions? Now, this doesn't sound like a whole lot given the, you know, the bigger, wider picture, but you know what? It's a lot of money. The United States gives out $35 billion in world aid. Yeah, world aid. I mean, we're the biggest debtor. We got debts we can't pay. We're telling the American people, the federal government is telling the American people that, well, you know, you, you people who have been paying into this system for your whole lives, well, I know we said you could have it when you're 62, but now, now it's going to be 70. Good luck. 
And, uh, oh, yeah, and I know we said you were going to get $1,000 a month, but, well, you're going to get 800 now. We've decided because, well, we've got $35 billion here that we have to give away to the rest of the world who's never paid anything. And most of the people, most of the countries that we give money to hate us. I mean, I can't blame them for hating the United States government, but, uh, you know, why should they get money from it? This little clip here says the U.S. seems to be the perennial giver of the world, a leaner, meaner Santa Claus of sorts. Or at least that's what most Americans seem to think, according to a national poll. While a third of Americans seem to believe that 30 to 50 percent of the federal budget is spent on aid, only 5 percent of Americans realize that less than 1 percent of the federal budget goes to aid. Well, okay, that's great, but why are we doing it? What does what? <laughs> I mean, look, we have. Military troops in 140 countries, and we're given 30 billion, 35 billion dollars out in world in aid. Now, and that might only be one percent, but why are we doing it? You know what? Let these countries just be on their own. Pull our troops back. Get them out of their country. We well, we're stabilizing. Stabilizing with with a military force. So what? We go into foreign countries and do what? Point M16s at them and say, hey, you better act stable. You better act stable or we'll kill y'all. Yeah, then you'll be stable, won't you? I mean, honestly, folks, really, what are we doing? 140 countries, really? 30, $35 billion? I think we could use that here. Hey, how about the veterans out on the streets under the bridges? Huh? What about that? Maybe we could help them with $35 billion. Maybe Congress could stop flapping their jaws about cutting up food stamps. Oh, we got to cut back food stamps. Food stamps, there's too many people. Yeah, you got no jobs. You've created a situation where all the businesses and all the corporations are leaving the country. You've created a situation where small businesses are so overregulated that fewer and fewer people are starting their own businesses, and they're all working for somebody else. Meanwhile, you're fixing it up so they can leave the country and have no jobs. And then you got the nerve to sit there and go, well, we got to somehow cut welfare. We got to somehow cut. Yeah, while you give trillions of dollars to corporations, cut them deals on tax breaks. Give a behemoth like Walmart, every stupid little community out there says, oh, yeah, you don't have to pay your property taxes here for 30 years. Come and build a Walmart. Give us all them great jobs. Yeah, sure. We got real problems, folks, but hey, it just keeps going on and on and on. How about this? This has got to be great. And you got to wonder, by what, what, by what authority do you think you're doing this? Obama federalizes police forces in six U.S. cities. In his most recent attempt to centralize the federal government's grip on America, Obama has launched his 21st Century Policing Pilot Program. Oh, its the acronym is COPS. Oh, how clever. In six cities across the country. Obama law is yet another overreach of constitutional authority to fundamentally transform the nation. This time by taking 
away local police enforcement rights and putting new rules and regulations in place as directed by the president and Eric Holder's Justice Department. Born out of the perception that racism is rampant amongst city law enforcement agencies, this new plan is intended to address the issue by trampling on local rights. You know, you gotta wonder, man, wait a minute. Wait a minute. I get the 14th Amendment, man. I get it. So, let's say there is racism. I mean, really, let's say somebody's civil rights are being violated. Somebody's rights under U.S., uh, you know, the U.S. Code. Wait a minute. Where does the Constitution allow the federal government to come within the borders of a state and start enforcing federal law within a state jurisdiction? Do you get it? Yeah, it isn't right. It isn't constitutional. But they allow it. And you know where it started? It started with Alabama. The federal government said, well, you have to de- you know, desegregate your schools. But you see what the real problem was, where they got that. Now, th- is, this is a slippery slope, and you've got to watch out. And This is the deal. Those schools had to de- uh, desegregate. Because they received federal money, and the federal government said, hey, you took the money, you said you'd follow the rules, now you have to, and we're going to bring in the National Guard to enforce it. Now, the National Guard, you've got to wonder, wait a minute, doesn't the governor control the National Guard? No. See, you know why? Because the National Guard's been federalized, because the National Guard gets most of their money from the federal government. Now, this shouldn't be with strings, folks. I mean, it really should not be with strings, because, you see, this isn't a deal. This isn't an agreement between the state and the federal government that, oh, okay, you pay for the National Guard and uh, we'll do anything you say. Yeah, Uh, sorry, no. You know what? The federal government has an obligation. Okay? To regulate. The National Guard, meaning to make sure they're well-armed and well-trained. That's what the Constitution says. That's what it demands of the federal government. See, the Constitution is not a friend of the federal government. Everything in that document is to either tell the federal government what they've got to do or to tell the federal government what they're not allowed to do. That's it, man. It's not a, oh boy, hey, the federal government's here and they can do whatever they want. This is not what the Constitution is about. It's a limiting document. Now, the Constitution says a a well-regulated militia being necessary to the, there you go. Well, a well-regulated militia. Now, the federal government takes that to mean, well, we're just going to tell you what to do. We're going to make a lot of rules, and you're going to do everything we say. No, well-regulated means well-trained and well-armed, means you pony up the weapons, you pony up for the training, and we'll take care of anything else. But that's not how it works. 
that's not how it ever been uh, that how it's been working anyway the national guard is no longer the militia it is a standing army is what the national guard actually is it's a federalized standing army And people just sit back and let it go. There are heroes. There are heroes. Oh, yeah, well, maybe because more Americans than ever use prescription drugs. Yeah, that's a new thing out. Get this. More Americans than ever are taking prescription drugs. How many do you think? What percentage do you figure, huh? Well... Close to 60% of all U.S. adults, according to new research. And most seem to be related to obesity. Now, why is obesity such a problem in America? Could it be that GMO foods are so good for us? Maybe that's it, huh? You know, you ever see those pictures of... uh, Children in Africa that eat rocks and their bellies, uh, you know, get all puffed out. Doesn't that look familiar anymore? Doesn't that look like a lot of Americans? Heck, I look in the mirror and it looks like me. You know, I'm going, wow, my belly. I'm not fat pretty much anywhere else. My belly, though. You got to wonder, well, why? Why? Is it just because I sit around a lot? Well, that has something to do with it, I think. But I also think it's the food we eat. And I try to eat somewhat carefully. I mean, I'm not some health food nut, really. I mean, and I've got nothing against health food nuts, to tell you the truth. If you've got the uh, discipline and the compunction to do that, well then, hey, more power to you. You know, I try not to eat really bad, bad crap, but, you know, I'm sure I end up eating lots of chemicals and lots of preservatives and uh, probably my share of GMO foods, too. But most of the prescriptions that people take are related to obesity? Really? And then second and third is cholesterol and blood pressure drugs? Oh, man. So people are fat. They got high cholesterol, they think, and blood pressure drugs. See, now, the cholesterol and blood pressure is a, is a scam. Because what they did was they lowered, they lowered the, you know, well, okay, you've got this, uh, you know, cholesterol level, you're good. Well, that's no good. We're not selling enough cholesterol drugs. So, you know what we're going to do? We're just going to lower that and say, well, we were wrong. Uh, You can't have even that much cholesterol. We're lowering it, so you can only have this much. And, oh, my goodness, now you were normal yesterday, and now you have high cholesterol. So, here's your drugs for you. Same with blood pressure. Oh, Oh, my. See, yesterday you were normal. We changed the numbers. Now you have high blood pressure. Uh-oh, you need medication. Well, apparently it's working for them because uh, obesity is the number one prescription drug, which surprises me. I would have thought it would be something like diabetes or something like that. But, no, it's it's people being fat and uh, high cholesterol and blood pressure. Hmm. Well... I'm 60% of the adults in America, 60% are are on a prescription drug. And do you know that something like uh, 
20% of that 60% are on more than five prescription drugs? Man, you know, uh, that's pretty uh, pretty bad, I'd say, but, man, that's just me. We're going to take a break. We'll be back in just a bit. Check it out. Oh, 
have increased over 40%. Energy prices have increased over 20%. Wheat and gas prices have increased over 70%. What's going to be next? Do you see these trends reversing or even stabilizing? All fiat currencies have always failed and collapsed their economies on their way down. The Roman Empire, China, France, Argentina, Finland, Mexico, Russia, Zimbabwe all tried fiat currency and all collapsed into chaos. Meanwhile, the dollar has lost over 97% of its gold value since 1971, when an ounce of gold was valued at $35. If your assets are in paper, you are in danger. Protect your assets with gold and silver. Visit Discount Gold and Silver Trading at DGSCoins.com. That's DGSCoins.com or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 800-375-4188. Protect yourself and your family. Studies have shown that the farm soil we get our vegetables from is dead, meaning it is depleted of minerals. Sulfur is a mineral. Sulfur has been depleted from the soil, which means most people have been depleted of sulfur. Sulfur has been found to transport oxygen throughout the body. You need oxygen. You need organic sulfur. American Voice Radio Network has organic sulfur. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com and then to the Superstore to order your organic sulfur. It's your choice. Do you want to feel better or not? Don't forget to tune in to the Sulfur Hour Plus One on AmericanVoiceRadio.com, Thursdays, 6 p.m. Pacific.
people realize their body needs clean water to function properly. Pure is the cleanest water, also known as distilled water. Some frauds pushing fake science and ignorant people repeating their disinformation and half-truths will tell you distilled water leaches minerals from the body. What they fail to tell you is distilled water only attracts and flushes inorganic minerals from your body. These are minerals your body cannot process and can interfere with your proper body functions. Distilled water does flush these inorganic materials from your body and is an effective and natural way to cleanse your body. ABR sells a distiller that distills one gallon every three and a half hours. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com, click on the Superstore, go to the distiller, check the pricing and how to order, and watch the video explaining in detail why distilled water is pure water. Without me, 
This is the Frank Report. I'm your host, Francis Steffen. You're listening right here on American Voice Radio Network. It is still Wednesday, November 4th, 2015. It's about 1244 out here on the Pacific Time Coast. That's when it is where you're at, given your time differential. We are live, which means you can participate. 800-932-1980, toll-free number. Get on the air. You can also participate from the chat room located at our website, theamericanvoice.com or americanvoiceradio.com. You'll see the chat link. Click on it, go on in there. You can ask questions, make comments, and uh, or just chat with the other folks in there. They're, uh, they're in there and they're chatting, and you can chat with them. You can also contact me directly through Yahoo Instant Messenger. My screen name is Talk. On that website, you'll see that uh, I have email, so you can use the email and you can contact me that way too. But, uh, you know, really the quickest response is the uh, Yahoo Instant Messenger. I check my email a couple times a day. The Instant Messenger is right in front of me and it, hey, it has fl- it has blinking lights. So, you know, of course that's going to uh, get my attention. Ooh, shiny thing, you know, that sort of stuff. And, uh... I'll answer you faster there than anywhere. Anyhow, so uh, there you have it. All right, let's get to our uh, things and stuff here. Oh, yeah. Remember last week I told you liar loans were coming back? That the Obama administration wants to, hey, come on, loosen up these... uh, Mortgages. You gotta you gotta give more mortgages out over there because uh hey we need more uh commercial paper floating around. We need more assets, we gotta have more people in debt. Come on, start writing these mortgages. Lower the standards, and that's what they did. They lowered the standards. And now now um you know, and one of the new programs that Fannie Mae rolled out was Home Ready. That's right. It allows borrowers to obtain a 3% down payment mortgage with no minimum cash contribution. Well, that's great, okay? They also, you know, last week uh, we went through some of the other changes in the law, but basically what it's doing is it's bringing back liar loans. Liar loans are when you walk in and you go, I I have a house that I want to buy. It's $200,000. I have in actuality, a minimum wage job, a minimum wage part-time job. So how's about it, banker buddy? Well, you mean, don't you, that you're making $50,000 a year at your job. Isn't that what you mean? Oh, yeah, yeah, that's what I mean. So, yeah, sure, okay. On paper, they never asked for any kind of verification. You used to be you had to bring pay stubs down to the bank to prove prove your income. Not anymore. They just write down something and go, oh, look, you're approved. There you go. Oh, hey, don't have any credit. This is another rule they changed. Don't have any credit at all. 
Now, who doesn't have any credit at all? Very few people. Okay, homeless people might not have any credit. That's true. And, you know, as much as I'd like to see the homeless get homes, uh, I don't think they can afford it for the most part. Who else doesn't have any credit? And I don't mean good or bad. I mean none. You don't have any credit history. Ah, yes, illegal aliens. You see, because that's who these programs were really geared to. Because I guarantee you they're not giving mortgages to homeless people. They are giving them to illegal aliens who have no credit history. Because they're saying, one of the rules they said, oh, well, you know, and if you don't have any credit, you get a loan. And and you see, I know uh, one time in my life I tried to get a mortgage. Had a great deal going on, man. I needed a $50,000 mortgage for an assessed $80,000 house. And I was putting $10,000 down and paying for the fees. They denied me. Why? Because I had no credit. None. Not good, not bad, just none. Sorry, we can't give you a mortgage if you don't have any credit history. So, that used to be the rule, apparently. Now, if you don't have any credit history, you get the mortgage. Again, think, who doesn't have credit history? Now, I didn't have credit history because I had been homeless. But, again, they're not focusing on the homeless. They're focusing on giving illegal aliens mortgages. That's why they're here in the first place, folks. So they can sign their name to some more commercial paper and and boost up their fraud fiat currency system. I wouldn't be surprised if they're doing it all over the world. But anyway, so while this is happening, while uh, they come up with a new program, while they're changing all the rules to go back to the liar loan program, which actually collapsed, you know, the whole housing market. So they figure that's a great idea to do again, like quantitative easing, which has been proven not to work. It doesn't work anywhere. Didn't work here. Hasn't worked in Japan. Didn't work in Europe. It doesn't work. Okay? It just doesn't work. It's one of those ideas that you go, well, let's do this. Well, uh, that didn't work. It's kind of like gun control, folks. Hey, let's make a bunch of laws. Let's make gun-free zones. And then they end up being, you know, shooting galleries is all for the innocent people to be shot dead because they they're law-abiding citizens and they don't have any guns so they can't defend themselves against the criminals who really don't give a damn what your laws say gee good plan we've been doing it for 40 years the statistics prove they absolutely evidence that this program is not working as far as if you want to keep people safe you want to cut down on you know crime done with a gun It doesn't work, yet we keep doing it over and over and over. It's a failed policy. Quantitative easing is another failed policy. Sure, hey, sounds like a great idea. Let's give the corporations trillions of dollars because they'll go and piss on every, I mean, trickle down all that on everybody. 
and uh, the economy will be boosted, except that's not what they did. They took the money, they bought back their own stocks, they boosted up their uh, their standing on the stock market, and wee look, the economy's doing great because the stock market's up. 98 million people aren't working. Well, big deal. What's that got to do with the stock market? All these failed policies, and now we're going back to liar loans? Great idea, sure. Oh, but oops, we find out that Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac are at risk of needing an injection of treasury capital after the latter reported its first quarterly loss in four years. (sighs) What a coincidence. They come up with all this crap to give away houses to illegal aliens... And now they have their first quarterly loss in four years. FHFA director Mel Watt issued a statement following mortgage finance company Freddie Mac's $475 million third quarter loss. That's half a billion dollars, folks. They lost half a billion dollars. That's not insignificant, okay? Half a billion dollars in one quarter? You know what that means, right? That means you're on track to lose $2 billion this year. Volatility in interest rates coupled with capital buffer that will decline to zero in 2018. Yada, yada, yada. Volatility in interest rates? Really? The interest rate hasn't changed in like four or five years. What do you mean, volatility? This guy's just shooting crap your way, telling you volatility in interest rates? There's been no volatility in interest rates. The interest rates haven't changed. Janet Yellen gets out there every once in a while, flaps her mouth around about how, well, someday, somewhere, sometime, maybe, we might, possibly, raise the interest rate a quarter of a percent. Wow, that's volatility? Even if she got out there and said, okay, we're raising it, and it's raised. It's a quarter of a percent. That's volatile? This guy's just, you see, here's something. He just, these these officials just say things, and it's not true. It's just a bald-faced lie, but nobody knows enough about finances and the economy to to, to say anything. They're, oh, well, oh, I see, that explains it. Volatility and interest rates coupled... With a capital buffer that will decline to zero in 2018. Capital buffer? Is that like, oh, I don't know, savings? Or is that more like assets? Capital buffer? What does that mean? Does that mean all that paper people wrote to get in debt that you count as an asset? Nobody, I don't know. And it's going to decline to zero in 2018 under the terms of the Senior Preferred Stock Purchase Agreements with Treasury. will likely make both enterprises increasingly susceptible to the possibility of a quarterly losses that could result in draws going forward. Freddie Mac said its loss was driven by interest rate changes that soured 
the value of derivatives it holds. Okay, look, you don't have to be an expert on derivatives. Derivatives are bad paper, okay? Bad paper, meaning loans that nobody's paying on, all right? They're bad paper. Oh, they call them derivatives. They bundle them up. They say they have value, but they have no value, no real value. But these people are holding these valueless, bad papers all bundled up in the billions, counting those as assets when they're really liabilities. And when the derivatives go down, guess who's going with it? Anybody who holds any derivatives. And Freddie Mac has derivatives. And interest rate changes. Wait a minute. What interest rate changes? There haven't been any interest rate changes. Well, they go on here and they say, you really can't make this stuff up. You know, I I mean, really. This is another case of, well, if you can't dazzle them with brilliance, baffle them with, well, I can't say it on the air, but anyway, you get the picture. These guys, they just lie. Interest rates, what? Derivatives, so that's what you're investing in. Losing $2 billion a year. Well, this is great. All right, how about this? I don't have a lot of time left, but... uh. This is just, this is, it just goes on and on, folks. Hormone-disrupting chemical banned in the EU found in 50 top U.S. snacks. While the U.S. Food and Drug Administration declares the synthetic food additive, synthetic food additive is generally recognized as safe, the European Union's food regulators outlawed it ever since scientists found it lowered sperm counts in rats. Folks, you are being sterilized. If lowered sperm count and reduced fertility through hormonal disruption isn't exactly what you signed up for every time you eat one of 50 different snack foods, like Sara Lee cinnamon rolls, Weight Watchers cakes, Cafe Valley muffins, or La Banderita corn tortillas, read on. This synthetic estrogen-mimicking additive is already in, already used in cosmetics. But now the Environmental Working Group has found it in over 50 different foods. Propyl paraben is one of the many common parabens, which include, oh man, I can't say these, but there's a bunch of them. Anyway, parabens allow skincare products to survive for months or even years in your medicine cabinet. And now for food to last longer on shelves or in transit, that's what it's all about, folks. Keep this stuff good forever. Wow. This crap is in everything from muffins, tortillas, trail mix, pies, sausage rolls, and more. I have a complete list, uh, a link to a complete list over here, too. I'll, I'll, you know what? I'll post that list in the, uh, in, the, in the chat room. That's a good thing for that because there's no way that I you know, can do this. Anyway, big food manufacturers have been using it for some time. In fact, only under pressure from the EWG did Johnson & Johnson voluntarily pledge to remove this and 
and other members of the paraben family from its baby products. That's right. Even your little bundle of joy could be exposed to parabens that cause fertility and developmental programs. In other words, you feed your little boy this, he's going to turn out to be a dress-wearing little freak when he grows up. Isn't this swell? Gosh, you wonder where the homosexual agenda's coming from. You wonder if, hmm, I wonder if they're actually creating the situation. I think they are. But anyway, there you have it. And if you want that link, go to the chat room. It'll be there in a few minutes. I got to go. Financial Survival's next. Got a full day after that, and I'll see you again tonight. Thanks for listening. Galaxy 19 at 97 degrees west, transponder 23, frequency 12115, audio PID 2595. AVR is heard on the left side audio channel, and AVR2 is heard on the right side audio channel. Remember, both AVR and AVR2 are on Galaxy 19. Same network, double the choices. Since the beginning of the United States, Kings have sought it. Nations have fought for it. It has been traded, borrowed, purchased, and stolen. There is a reason for it. To secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity. Invest with the security of gold and silver. Call Discount Gold and Silver Trading at 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. Listen to Financial Survival with your host, Melody Cedarstrom, on American Voice Radio Network and Shortwave Radio. Visit DiscountGoldAndSilverTrading.net or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. For the very best in gold and silver trading, call toll-free 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. Call now.
Hey, good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Melody Cedarstrom, and you're listening to Financial Survival. I'm here with my co-host, Alfred Addis, to bring you our opinion and commentary on today's economic and political events for Wednesday, November 4th, 2015. Good afternoon, Al. Hello, Melody. Wendy Wilson will be joining us here for the first segment of the program today. But first, let's take a look at gold and silver. Still pressure on gold down 970 at 1108.50. Silver's down 20 at 1516. Platinum down 8 at 958. Palladium is also down 15 at 633. The USDX today, of course, is strong, 0.70, almost at 98. 9793 that's been a bull lately and crude oil down took back yesterday's gain 141 at 4649 and the paper markets today were weak most of the day and uh, you're looking at the dow oh come on here little miss computer oh here we go here we go down 49 points at 17868 the nasdaq was down Three at 51.42. The S&P is down seven, 21.03. Ten-year yield 2.23 percent, up 0.01. Euro dropped, of course, almost a full point, 109. And um, pressure on Germany's uh, down about one percent, and just little changes everywhere else in the Asian and London markets. Well, I'd like to welcome Wendy Wilson to the program today. Good afternoon, Wendy. Good afternoon, Melody. Hello, Al. Hello, Wendy. I thought we. What are we going to learn about today? Well, I thought we'd talk about what our uh, nails can indicate uh, as far as probably a health problem. A lot of people just don't think about looking at their fingernails or toenails to let them know there could be a serious problem brewing. So forget the palm reading. You should uh, check your, your nails to see if you have any serious health problems. And just like your blood and your urine and your hair analysis can offer some clues into your health, so can your finger and toenails indicate that you may have some health issues. So nails are really skin cells, and they like to breathe. So ladies out there wearing a lot of nail polish uh, and the fake nails, actually that can suffocate a nail bed, especially, you know, down near the cuticle. And that can make your nails vulnerable to a fungus infection. So we're going to take a look at some of the health conditions and indications our nails can give us. Uh, so uh, as I read this, you're probably going to be checking out your fingernails. Um, according to medical science, there's about 30 different health conditions that can be spotted by looking at your fingernails. For instance, your nails could signal that you maybe have a heart, a kidney, or a cancer problem. So if you have pulmonary or heart conditions, such as emphysema, uh, it could show up in your nails. Uh, the problem is you could have tissue beneath your nails that can become thick and force the nail to club around the end of the finger, making it look bulbous. So um, actually, I had a family member back in the 70s that had fingernails that looked like that, and that person did have emphysema. When the, when the nail uh, you know, grows in clubs around the fingernail, they call that clubbing. So if you ever see that, that's what that is. So nails actually can develop uh, strange lines or dents in them, not due to trauma. 
so um, a good indicator of what's going on inside your body could be um, what's uh, known as pitting on your nails. This is where you get these little dent marks in your fingernails. Uh, you could have nutritional deficiencies according to science or even have some sort of um, low toxin poisoning going on. So if your nails display small surface dents not due to trauma, it could be a sign that you have some skin problems like maybe eczema, psoriasis, or even skin cancer. So the pitting of the nail can also be due to arthritis conditions. So now if you see parallel lines, which can appear white or black, this can indicate a serious health condition. White parallel lines, uh, it's known as um, uh, Merck's lines, and it's uh, likely because of a low protein in the blood system. It really indicates a malnutrition issue, and when that happens, the liver can be affected and be in distress. Now, dark lines can indicate skin cancer, but this is weird. It usually only shows up on one fingernail. So usually the pinky. So check that out if you've got a dark line that's on your nail there. So if the nails have any brown or red streaks, it could indicate a number of conditions, including a heart valve infection. So nail lines or grooves going across the nail from left to right, uh, that's not from trauma. That could be a sign of extreme stress known as views lines. Have you ever seen that, Melanie, Al? I can't say that I have. No, I remember well, when we were kid. I remember when we were kids, they told us something about little white huh? lines in our nails. Right, right, right. Well, um, uh, you know, and another thing is, is if you get those little wavy lines that go horizontally across the nails, a lot of times that's people that are taking way too much synthetic supplements. Okay, which are made from petrochemicals. So your nails will indicate there. Uh, that's what it is. Now, there are some different shapes and, and colors. Also, the nails, the fingernails can have different shapes to them. Uh, shapes that go outside the normal are the ones you should be concerned about. So, for instance, if the nail develops a spoon shape, uh, which uh, they raise up on the sides and in the front, and the nail looks like a spoon instead of it curving nicely down, this is called oilovicia and it's often a sign the person has lupus. So when the nails become discolored, it could also indicate a medical condition. Aside from trauma, yellow nails can actually indicate lung conditions like tuberculosis. Also brown, if your nails look a little brownish, that could be associated with either a thyroid condition or pregnancy. And there's also a condition where the nail can be half white and half a darker color, and that indicates renal failure. So medicine thinks the impurities in the blood from the kidneys that are failing changes the pigment underneath the nail bed. Now there are some drugs and, and foods and things that can affect the health of your nails and your overall health. Um, if you have red nails, not due to nail polish now, uh, this could indicate that you have too many fatty acids like cholesterol in your diet, you're consuming too much sugar, salt, and dairy. Um, and most often the liver is not functioning well if that happens, and you may have even some blocked arteries. The nails that turn purple, aside from, you know, you, you know, hitting them with a hammer trauma, um, it could suggest the digestive system is off or you have a too much sugar and not enough fruits and vegetables in the diet. And there are some pharmaceutical drugs, like chemotherapy drugs, that can turn your nails purple, as well as blood pressure medicines, medicines for headaches, 
And acetaminophens and cocaine can also turn your nails purple, like you're not getting enough oxygen. All right. Uh, there's also the detached nail situation. Uh, sometimes um, trauma, you know, if you hit your fingernail, it could loosen up the nail. But if it's not due to trauma and your nails are loose, it could be due to um, a circulation problem called Reynaud's phenomenon. It's kind of a unique circulation issue where only certain areas of the body seem to have blood flow disruption. And another reason for the loose nails is uh, you could have a prescription to a medication uh, that's causing it, or you have an overactive thyroid. Okay, so the skin that supports the nail underneath the nail fold can become red and inflamed, and this can uh, lead to infection and irritation. And also, uh, some people have a problem with ingrown toenails. That's pretty pretty uh, significant issue. Um, and people go to the podiatrist for for help with that. Um, anybody here on the radio today have ingrown nails? Not that I know about. No, I used to have them as a kid because I did a lot of ballet, <laughs> and uh, they're not—they're not, ha- they're not uh, fun. Uh, the the, no- the nails grow in a curve right around the edges and dig into the skin. The skin can get inflamed, and you have to go and have those trimmed away. Now there is a procedure now that podiatrists often recommend if you tend to get. Uh, recurring ingrown nails. Uh, they, it's a procedure where they um, they take and destroy part of the nail root, attempting to prevent it from growing in a curved position. Um, so they do that at the nail bed. However, this often leaves the nail bed vulnerable to a fungus infection. And if that happens, the nail will yellow and become thick and irregular at the nail tip. And as the infection moves forward down further into the nail, to the base of the nail, uh, the nail will raise up off of the toe and be only attached at the nail bed. And this makes the nail very tender and any pressure is painful. And if you try to trim the nail, what happens is the nail crumbles and breaks off. So um, if you don't correct the fungus condition, um, it takes about 12 months for a nail to grow fully out, but what happens is it falls off. And then another fungus-infected nail replaces it, but you got to correct that because eventually the nail will not grow back in. So, um, and of course, there's lots of drugs and surgeries and stuff that they offer now, but all of them for nail fungus have extreme risks. I, I encourage people to do their homework. For instance, uh, they have drugs, uh, surgery, and lasers in an attempt to correct any extensive nail fungus issue. Um, but the surgery is temporary, the lasers may not work, only in a small percentage of the cases, and the drugs can actually uh, harm your liver, and you have to do blood analysis every three months to check your liver enzymes. What I prefer to do is use some straight-up straight up garlic juice uh, because um, it's antifungal. Is super antifungal, and it may take a year to correct the problem, but it's you know, non-toxic, it's inexpensive, there's no side effects, it's painless, and, um, and, uh, and, and, it's, and it's lasting, the correction is lasting. So what you do is get some garlic juice, and you would drip it so it goes underneath the nail, but then also put some on the top at the nail bed, massage that in, and do that every night, and, uh, and uh, do that until it corrects. What you notice is the nail feels more secure, it's not as loose and as tender, and then the color improves, and then it starts to flatten out and look normal. So uh, straight-up garlic juice for nail fungus, folks. That's what I say. 
When I was a kid, and I can remember this back, might have been sixth grade, seventh grade at the latest, might even been fifth grade, I don't recall. But a friend of mine looked at my nails, and he said, what, you don't have any moons? Oh. All right? Yeah. You know what I mean by moons? Yeah, yeah, yeah I do. Uh-huh. Well, why don't you go ahead and explain that and see if that's similar well, to what I was told back, back, you know, by a friend of mine back in you know, sixth grade yeah, or something. Yeah, at the, at, at the cuticle, at the nail bed, where the cuticle mm-hmm. is, there's usually a different picnic, pigment coloration. It's a lighter pink than what grows out from there to the end of the nail tip where your nail grows out and it may be white. So uh, yeah, that's it's. Uh, some people don't have those. I've noticed that on people. I looked into it. I can remember years ago, and it indicated, and he thought it was a positive thing. All right, everybody in his family had them, and he mm-hmm. thought it was a positive thing. And I looked into it at some point in my life, and the research I saw, maybe it was accurate, maybe it wasn't, indicated that it was evidence of a mineral deficiency. And magnesium is the mineral that I want to say, but that might not be what it was. It might have been some other mineral. And if you were more deficient in that mineral, you had bigger moons on your fingernails. And I've never had them to speak of. i got just barely a trace of them on my thumbs, but not on the other four fingers of each hand. never had them. So I was just curious if that was something you knew about or you'd heard about or whatever. Did we lose her? I don't know. Um, I'm still here, and you're still here. Um, appears that <laughs> she didn't want to answer your question, Al. Well, I guess not. <laughs> she could have just said, "No, I don't want to answer that question." She didn't have to. It must be some sort of a technical problem, which means who's responsible? Frank, the producer. Uh, well, let's go one- ahead. That's Wendy Wilson from thepowerherbs.com. You can call Wendy for further information at 866-229-3663. Again, hey, Al, are you there? Yeah, we are now. Where'd you go, I'm, Wendy? I don't know where I went. I could hear you, but you couldn't hear me. I'm mm. sorry. I, I, I heard you <laughs> talking about the moons and a mineral deficiency. Yeah, that's what I that's what I came to. I looked it up maybe when eighth grade or something like that. You know, I mean, it's 50 years ago or more. Yeah, more uh-huh. than that, close to 60 probably. Uh, looked it up, and I can remember that according to what I read at the time, the moons were evidence of some sort of a mineral deficiency, and I don't recall which mineral. I thought in the back of my mind it seems like maybe it was magnesium, and the, what I read was the bigger the moon, the more deficient the mineral you were. And wow. insofar as I wasn't, didn't have any moons, I was not deficient. It was good news for me, but a long time <laughs> ago, and I don't know if it's good news. I don't know if it's accurate information. Um, well, that is just real interesting stuff, I think. Uh, you know, our body tells us you know, a lot of things we should know if we just take a look at it and pay attention, you know? It is surprising. For example, you were talking about one of the, one of the diseases that were indicated only a, only shows up in your pinky finger, in the nail in the nail of your pinky finger. Well, it, most typically it's on the pinky, not always, but typically okay. it is, and that's that um, that's that parallel line that's a dark color, like black. It could indicate, you know, skin problem. Could even be skin cancer. So if you got any moles out there and you've been wondering about it, and you check your nail and you got a black line showing up on one, hey, I'd go check that out. You know. Pretty interesting. Do you think this is anything like, does this correspond at all, the idea of acupuncture? 
Now, I know you don't do acupuncture on the nails, but what I'm getting to is the idea behind acupuncture is there are places on your body where you poke a needle and it has yeah. an effect. You poke a needle in your arm and it has an effect on your liver or your spleen yeah. or whatever. Is oh, this absolutely. similar to that same concept? Well, I don't think it's 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 a pressure point. I think it's just a, a manifestation well, I know of... I it's not uh, the same thing, but it's still... Yeah. Strange An indicator, connection. yeah. I think, it, I think it could be... Yeah, I think it could be like, you know, an indicator, almost like a pressure valve and letting you know that there's something that needs adjusting. Uh, reflexology is similar to acupuncture. It's just, you know, pressure points on your feet because they say all your nerve endings from your organs end in your feet. So if you massage certain areas of your feet, you can then stimulate your organs and improve them. So um, anyway, uh, I just know a foot massage feels really good. <laughs> All right. Wendy, why don't you give us some contact information? Sure. Um, we specialize in immune boosting and organ cleansing, so flu season's here. So if you want to boost your immune system or cleanse away toxins to strengthen yourself, uh, that's what we do. Apothecary Herbs, the powerherbs.com is the website, or give us a call. We'll send a free catalog at 866-229-3663. We did get a new shipment of catalogs in, 866-229-3663. Three six six three. Thank you, guys. Talk to you later. All right, Wendy. Thank you. That's Wendy Wilson from thepowerherbs.com. 866-229-3663. Melody and I will be back on Financial Survival in just a moment. Please stay tuned. Financial obligations or relationship problems have you feeling stressed out? When life is too much to handle, use Apothecary Herbs Emotional Stress Formula. Feel calm and more in control with herbs especially combined to provide the organic nutrition your system needs to help you cope. Complete instructions for maximum benefit and a money-back guarantee. You've waited long enough. Call Apothecary Herbs now. Toll free 866-229-3663. That's 866-229-3663. International callers dial 704-875-8010 or order online at the 3w's.thepowerherbs.com. Prices have increased over 40%. Energy prices have increased over 20%. Wheat and gas prices have increased over 70%. What's going to be next? Do you see these trends reversing or even stabilizing? All fiat currencies have always failed and collapsed their economies on their way down. The Roman Empire, China, France, Argentina, Finland, Mexico, Russia, Zimbabwe all tried fiat currency and all collapsed into chaos. 
Meanwhile, the dollar has lost over 97% of its gold value since 1971, when an ounce of gold was valued at $35. If your assets are in paper, you are in danger. Protect your assets with gold and silver. Visit Discount Gold and Silver Trading at DGSCoins.com. That's DGSCoins.com or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 800-375-4188. Protect yourself and your family. American Voice Radio Network is heard on Galaxy 19 at 97 degrees west, transponder 23, frequency 12115, audio PID 2595. AVR is heard on the left side audio channel, and AVR2 is heard on the right side audio channel. Remember, both AVR and AVR2 are on Galaxy 19. Same network, double the choices. Folks, I'm Alfred Adams here with Melody Cedarstrom on Financial Survival, and the program is brought to you by Discount Gold and Silver. For all your gold and silver coin needs, give Melody a call at 1 800 375 4188. What's next, Melody? Well, I just want to remind the listeners that, uh, you know, when we see prices of gold fall as we have, and we've certainly seen it drop in the past, you know, week and a half significantly. When you buy the fractional pieces, what's nice about it is they don't adjust as quickly as your one-ounce coins do. Number one, it's because they're fractional, and so you have to have really large moves in gold in order to see any significant changes in the price of the fractional pieces. Uh, the AU $5 Liberty gold pieces are on their own. They're selling at $350. We have them available to you, AU $5 Liberty gold pieces. They're beautiful coins small fractional pieces, $350, and we're going to include your shipping cost in that. So a uh, great little coin to be picked pick pick, up. Peter Piper picked a pepper. <laughs> it's a great coin to, to pick up, to purchase, to add to your portfolio for any of your uh, fractional needs uh, that I think we'll uh, face in the very near future. So give us a call at 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. Make sure you visit our website, dgscoins.com, dgscoins.com. Got an article here from CNBC. Oh, well, that's fairly lengthy. Let me go ahead and let's, I just want to recap uh, Kraft Heinz. They're going to be closing seven factories um, that will be downsizing, and they're going to shed 26 hundred jobs. Those seven factories are located in the U.S. and Canada. Uh, This is a a two-year project, and um, they're going to be closing their manufacturing facilities in Fullerton and San Leandro, California, uh, Federalsburg in Maryland, St. Mary's, Ontario, Canada, Campbell, New York, Lehigh Valley, Pennsylvania, and Madison, Wisconsin. And again, this is going to happen <clears throat> to the next uh, 12 to 24 months. They also have a meat processing plant in Davenport, Iowa, that they're looking to close. 
and uh, move production, although they are building a plant that's several miles away. Um, so We're the, talking about Kraft Foods right now. True? Well, no, there was a merger of Kraft Heinz, and this okay. is what happens when you have these big, you know, corporations that merge, and, uh, you know, jobs are going to be lost. They will be uh, cost-cutting and Alcoa. Um, Senator Charles Schumer, he was outraged and, and disappointed because Alcoa is planning to shut down some smelting operations at its northern New York plants, putting about 500 people out of work. And he was not informed. So he was very upset uh, that uh, Alcoa made the announcement. They actually made the announcement on Monday and that they're going to shut down two, sm- two smelters. I want to say smelters, but smelters in Washington uh, State, in one in Messina on the St. Lawrence River. So, uh, again, with the total, you're looking at about 800 layoffs, excuse me, about 500 uh, in Messina. And they're also going to lay off about 135 at a plant in Point Comfort, Texas. Um, They're curtailing money losing. Melting and refining capacity to ensure continued competitiveness was why they are closing these plants. We have mentioned a lot of huge layoffs from these larger companies. Caterpillar, there's a slew of them. Um, uh, banks, Deutsche Bank was going to lay off thousands and thousands of people. Wait till these numbers begin to hit the reports. And uh, so it's going to be very interesting. So you're going to have the Fed wanting to raise rates you know, on their great uh, 5% uh, uh, number on their unemployment. But yet here in the next year, you're going to see that number, I believe, increase unless you have more and more fall off. I had also wanted to mention about the European Central Bank. Um, They said that the bank's finances are smaller than first feared. And uh, uh, they announced this figure uh, as a result of an ECB review of Greece's four main banks following an agreement on the on their third bailout, um, they need 14.4 billion euros in fresh money to get back on their feet. But what's interesting about this, as I mentioned it to you during the breakout, no one talks about that the people, customers of their four main banks are still have restrictions on withdrawals and transfers that, you know, people can't do their business because of this in Greece. So not a lot of discussions on how those people are still struggling to recover, but yet we all know that, uh, of course, the politicians and the bankers and, you know, all those that are involved, they all got their money. And uh, but yet I don't even know if they people, all got their money, but they didn't well, get they all got what some. they wanted. They all got something. Yeah, they got something. And I really don't care about them. I'm thinking about the people. Of course, you know, everybody can point a finger at who's to blame. But the people are just pushed, shoved underneath the rug, brushed underneath the rug. And no one talks about how these banks are still in restrictions, that they're still um, uh, continuing to uh, uh, keep withdrawals and transfers on limits. Why do you suppose they're still struggling? Well, what's your idea? Well, the idea is simple. They can't pay the debts. Simple. I know. That's it. They're bankrupt. That's the reality of this thing. The whole idea of what we've seen in the Greek drama 
throughout most of the, this past year has been to avoid the fundamental truth that Greece is broke. That's all. And they're trying to count, they're trying to maintain some sort of illusion that Greece is still solvent, and they're trying to get people to pretend to pay the bills, and they can't, and they can't get money out of their own banks. And the problem, you know, we've said this months ago. The solution to the problem is just say, that's it, we're bankrupt, can't pay, zero it all out, we're going to go through... We're going to go through a difficult 12, 18 months, and we'll be back on our feet, probably like Iceland, within two years. As it is, they are going to go through a kind of purgatory, if not hell, while they struggle to do what they can't do. They don't. What can't be paid won't be paid. They don't have the money. That's it. And every bit of this is about trying to create the illusion that Greece is not bankrupt when, in fact, Greece is broke. It's bankrupt, doesn't have the money, can't pay, therefore it won't pay. And all the rest of this drama is just a fiction to avoid facing that truth. And that's exactly where we were at before they pushed through a two-year budget at midnight or 1 o'clock in the morning, 144 pages that you know no one read, Mm -hmm. but they just pushed it through, and we were at the same brink that Greece is at, they made the illusion, they created another illusion, uh, but that day of reckoning is coming where they won't be able to push it under the rug because we are a country that's bankrupt. Yeah, we certainly. are a country that can't pay our bills. For a long Damn. time. Not just recently. Technically, we haven't paid our bills since, at least our, our international bills, <laughs> we haven't paid them since Nixon closed the gold window and stopped redeeming foreign-held dollars with gold. We haven't paid any of our debts, technically, since 1971. This isn't a new phenomenon, but these economies, especially large and huge economies like our own, it's like a ship at sea. Once that thing gets moving, it has a lot of momentum. And even if you turn the engines off or you reverse the propellers or you turn to port or starboard, that thing doesn't turn on a dime. You've got to go miles before you can turn around and head in the other direction. There is a momentum that carries you along despite the reality. Maybe the engine room blew up. The ship is still moving forward, carried by momentum. That's basically what's happened in this economy over the last 40 years. The momentum has carried us forward, but we're reaching a point. You know, again, our government, we talked about this in the last few days, the government's, the evidence that the government is broke is the national debt. Why do we have a national debt? Because the government has to borrow to pay its bills. That's why. If we had the national debt, if it was temporary, if we had a bad situation, Hurricane Katrina hit, and said, oh, my gosh, we've got to raise extra money. We didn't anticipate this emergency. We've got to raise extra money. We've got to go into debt in order to help the people in Louisiana. Okay, you generate a deficit there for a year, maybe even two years, but within a relatively short period of time, you pay it off, and you get back to where you don't owe any money. We don't pay our debts off. Not in, not in total. We just keep on adding and adding and adding and adding. And this persistent adding is persistent evidence that we can't, or our government, can't pay its bills. And that is evidence that the government is technically bankrupt. All right? If you can't pay all your bills, what do you need to put you in an involuntary bankruptcy? Three creditors have to show up and say, I want the money, and you say, I don't have it. Another one shows up, asks for the money. I don't have it. Another one shows up. Three of them take you into court. The court will put you into an involuntary bankruptcy because you have three creditors you haven't been able to pay. 
Our government has been able to avoid that. We had we the way situation the way legally and politically it hasn't been possible for three creditors to stand up and put the government into an involuntary bankruptcy, but technically that's where it is. And sooner or later that's going to be recognized, and when it is recognized, the, the vulnerable point as far as I'm able to understand right now is the idea that the government can't pay its bills and therefore it must borrow more money. This was the significance of the increase the debt ceiling legislation that passed in the last week. All right? They have to be able to borrow more money. $18 trillion is not enough. We've got to go to $19, 20 trillion, wherever it has to be. They have to borrow more money to maintain the illusion. This is a wonderful situation unless you run out of lenders. If there are people just finally say, I think you're bankrupt and I'm not lending you any more money. When we hit that point, what's the government going to say? And we already have in the private sector, and that probably five years ago, where they had an auction for U.S. Treasuries and the government put them up and nobody bid on them at full face value. And they began to realize, oh my gosh, we're going to have to reduce the price of these bonds by, who knows, 20, 30, 40% before any of the private investors will enter a bid on them. And they didn't want to do that and establish that the bonds had lost 10, 20, 30% of their value. And rather than make that admission by allowing the, the auction to continue, they terminated the auction. And shortly after that, that's when the Federal Reserve started buying the U.S., being the principal buyer of U.S. bonds. Federal Reserve stepped in and said, we'll buy your phony baloney bonds. We believe in you. We don't think you're bankrupt. They know very well we're bankrupt. And I think it's part of the reason the Federal Reserve stopped quantitative easing three I think they've reached a point where they don't want to lend any more money to any more currency to the to the federal government. They know they're not going to get paid back. Give us some more U.S. bonds. They're they're not going to work. Right? I think that's why the Federal Reserve. I could be wrong, but I think that's at least one of the reasons why they sat back and they said we're not lending any more money. We're ending quantitative easing three. I think it's if I'm right, there won't be a quantitative easing four. A lot of people have been predicting well, quantitative easing QE to infinity. I don't think so. I think the Federal Reserve is so deep in the hole right now, they know they're never going to get out. They owe four and a half trillion. They've got four and a half trillion dollars worth of debt. At least three and a half, four trillion is U.S. bonds. They're never going to get anything back for them. They're in trouble. I know it's all paper entries and digital entries and the rest of that, but they've got a mathematical problem that they will not easily overcome. And if I'm correct, Maybe I'm not, but if I'm correct, it means the government can't get much more money out of the private sector. Some people will still lend money to government, but not to the degree that was true five years ago. And if the private sector won't lend money to the federal government, and if the Federal Reserve won't lend money or can't lend money to the federal government, then where, how are they going to continue to go deeper into debt right? in order to have borrow more in order to pay the existing bills? If they're line of credit gets cut off and they can't borrow more how are they going to support social security and entitlements and the national defense they're already facing cutbacks you read the newspapers you see it almost every day something's being cut back all right the government is cutting back here there wherever it's all evidence that they're broke we are not Greece, but we are much like Greece, and we may be worse off than Greece, although it may not show up for who knows.
you know, Greece has had its problems and is having its problems. And more than likely, we're going to do something similar in this country. The question is, will we also play this little game of pretending that we can pay off the debt when, in fact, never going to happen? And people have to understand, just because it looks like the stock markets are hitting these numbers, and that's what we're going to talk about probably after the next break, even though these numbers at the stock market, the Dow, the S&P, the, the NASDAQ are showing these high numbers, things just didn't go away because they extended the budget for two years. These problems just increased in size. Mm-hmm. It has, it, And that's to me is what's shocking is they they do this and yet everything just seems to go right along with their little plan you can never under and underestimate their power and their abilities to keep this illusion going uh, through the means that they have and uh, so people see the higher stock markets and they feel comfortable they feel that well things must be okay well they're not and don't get caught up in that yeah, I know. And uh, so we're in a very—it's a very serious situation because that's what happens to people. They—they they look at these signs and they feel that well, you know, maybe I'm not doing as well as everybody else, and it—they it, don't do what they need to do, and they sit back and they don't they are pay attention. Rational. They are not responding to objective reality with a, with rational decisions, and we're going to talk more about that when we come back. One of the things we'll try to get to is the concept of the money illusion. This is a phenomenon that's recognized by economists, the American people. I've never heard of it until today. I've talked about it in my own way. I've sensed it and I've talked about it, but I've never heard. Economists have recognized it all the way. goes back to 1928, the first time they talked about the money illusion. We will talk about that and how people, they are susceptible to the illusion rather than reality. And insofar as that's true, they do things that are irrational. We'll talk about it when we return on financial survival in just a moment. Please stay tuned. Pandemics will be a part of our future. The question is, how do we protect ourselves? Are you willing to put your trust in untested vaccine, hoping it kills mutating viruses? Remember, in 1976, health officials tried to inoculate Americans with swine flu, and there was a 300% death rate for those inoculated, and millions were paid out in damages. God gave you a sophisticated immune system, and in times of need, you can make it 10 times stronger. So there's no need to panic. Just get prepared. Call Apothecary Herbs to order your upgraded pandemic kit. You will have eight professional strength formulas offering broad-spectrum immune-boosting protection. Take a stand. Have a plan. Have peace and request your pandemic kit today. Call Apothecary Herbs toll-free, 866-229-3663, or online, thepowerherbs.com. That's 866-229-3663, or thepowerherbs.com. Since the beginning of the United States, kings have sought it, nations have fought for it. It has been traded, borrowed, purchased, and stolen. There is a reason for it. To secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity, invest with the security of gold and silver. Call this.
discount gold and silver trading at 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. Listen to Financial Survival with your host, Melody Cedarstrom, on American Voice Radio Network and Shortwave Radio. Visit DiscountGoldAndSilverTrading.net or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. For the very best in gold and silver trading, call toll-free 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. Call now. Hey folks, I'm Alfred Adisk, here with Melody Cedarstrom on Financial Survival. What's next, Melody? Well, we're going to go ahead and we are, we're going to be talking about the uh, uh, what you had wanted to talk about. All right, if we want to go to that, you had something else I thought, but if we want to no, go to the money illusion, here's something that I, I just stumbled onto this concept. We've talked about this just in the last day or two, although I didn't understand this term. I'd never heard of it before. All right, it, um, and I'm going to be reading in part from Wikipedia. You can look this up yourself on the Internet, the concept money illusion. You can find it on Wikipedia, as it turns out. And when I've talked about it, I've tried to explore the idea that while the price of gold, we talked about this a We've couple of days ago, about it for had years. fallen 15 Al. points, had fallen 15%, the value of dollars was up by 21%. We've talked right, about it on for the U.S. dollar. Well, I get that. We touch on it from time to time, but we haven't. I mean, Mm, the last day or two we talked about it. All right? And the point I was groping to explain was the idea that because, although the price of gold as of yesterday or thereabouts was down 14%, I think it's 15% right now, over the course of the last year or so, during the same period of time, the value of the dollar is up 21, 22%. All right? The point being is you subtract the one from the other, and it turns out, even though the nominal price of gold has fallen, the purchasing power, the real value of gold, has risen by 6-7% over the course of the last year. All right? That's the implication. And I know that's a peculiar argument, the sort of thing the average person, wow, I think that's just contrived. But it turns out that economists know exactly what I'm talking about. Here's the Wikipedia article. They say in economics, money illusion or price illusion refers to the tendency of people to think of currency in nominal rather than real terms. What do they mean by that? They mean, in other, they say, in other words, the numerical face value, the nominal value of money, is mistaken for its purchasing power, which is its real value. Right? <clears throat> Now this is a false. This is this is a false way of looking at things. Again, as modern fiat currencies have no intrinsic value, and their real value is derived. It's derivative from all the underlying value systems in an economy. And they list sound government, sound economics, sound education, sound legal system, sound defense. These are the underlying value systems in an economy, according to this article. Now, just. Sound government is one of them. How many of you think we have sound government right now? How about sound economics? 
You think we have sound economics? According to this, this, according to this Wikipedia article, that's one of the foundations for the value, the perceived value of our currency. How about sound education? How many of you are proud of the American education system? How about the sound legal system? Justice will be done, though the heavens fall. Bunk. Money will be made, all right, though the heavens fall. That's the, that's the attitude. Point of making. We don't have, even by the terms presented in this article, we don't have good reason to believe and have confidence in the nominal value of money. But the article is talking about the difference between the numerical face value the nominal value of money is mistaken for its purchasing power. This is the same argument that I've been trying to understand myself and explain on the program when we talk about gold is at a particular price. And people say, oh my gosh, the price of gold has fallen. And it's all, this money illusion is about people only get price. All right, they get it, they understand the nominal price. They do not understand purchasing power. And they're telling us, here they're telling us, purchasing power, that's the real value. Purchasing power gold is up 6-7% in the last uh, 12-15 months. Price, nominal price, is down. Right? But the purchasing power is up as measured in dollars. Uh, the term was coined by Irving Fisher in Stabilizing the Dollar, a book that was written back in the 1920s. Um, popularized by John Maynard Keynes in the early 20th century. And Irving Fisher wrote an important book on the subject, The Money Illusion, in 1928. The existence of the money illusion is disputed by monetary economists who contend that people act rationally, that is to say, they think in real prices with regard to their wealth. All right? Some economists say, oh, people are doing things completely rational. This is rational when you treat that piece of paper that you have in your wallet as if it's money. It's, oh, yeah, this is rational. But others, economists, and they mention Elder Shafir, Peter A. Diamond, Amos Zversky, um, have provided empirical evidence for the existence of the effect and it has been shown to affect the behavior of experimental and real-world situations. Schaefer et al. also state that the money illusion influences economic behavior in three, way, in three main ways. Price stickiness is number one. Money illusion has been proposed as one reason why nominal prices are slow to change, even where inflation has caused real price costs or costs to rise price stickiness. We stick with the nominal. We ignore the reality. Contracts and laws are not indexed to inflation as frequently as one would rationally expect. And incidentally, neither are taxes. We are looking at circumstances. When we start to understand this, this money illusion, we can see the government acts rationally in relation to the money illusion, but the public does not. The government acts rationally from its own, from its own best interest when it causes 2% inflation. It is robbing its creditors. Right? It, might be, it might not be acting morally, but it's acting rationally. Government is getting over when it can cause inflation. It's a rational act from just in the same sense that it's rational for some people to rob banks. It's immoral, it's criminal, it's a bunch of things, but still you need money, you rob a bank. The government, uh, 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 
the government is too irrational to notice or care about inflation. The only thing they care about is price. They don't care about purchasing power. And that's the money illusion. People only look at price, don't look at purchasing power. This argument, this insight, this, this, this concept, monetary, been recognized for a century, basically, right now. They haven't talked about it. public isn't aware of it in any reasonable way. This is the first time I've heard about it. Um, and I guarantee I, I would be much surprised if more than 1% of the American people had ever heard of the concept. Now, and it's probably less than that. 99% never heard of it. It's if you want to succeed, if you want to prosper, you have to learn to make investments based on increasing purchasing power, which is a more subtle but fundamental concept than merely nominal price. And you can't confuse the price of the house went up from 200000 to $300,000. And we sit back and say, yay, I have an extra $100,000 because I, I bought that house. My equity in the house is now up an extra $100,000. Of course, inflation has reduced my, my actual income by 30%. All right? We don't look at that. I'm getting the same amount of money, but the purchasing power is down. What I'm groping here to try to get communicate is that this is a valid concept. And if you want to practice, you want to prosper, you have to learn to think in terms of what is the purchasing power of a particular investment, not its price. The price is not a significant, oh, I won't say it's insignificant. I won't say it's an insignificant factor, but it's not the controlling factor. If you want to prosper, you must invest in things whose purchasing power is going up, even if the price is going down. And what are the things and what are, what's a good example of that? It's the gold we were talking about just yesterday, the day before. In the last year, price of gold has fallen now 15%. Value of the dollar is up 27% or 22%. Purchasing power of the dollar, at least as measured on the U.S. dollar index, up 22%. Implication, even though the price of gold is down, the nominal price is down. People say, oh, I don't want any gold. The nominal price is down. I'm saying, wait a second. The purchasing power is up. It's not a bad investment. It's actually been doing well if you deal with reality. And that's what they're talking about here. They're saying, look, people just look at price, and that is irrational. They see the illusion. The price is the illusion. What's the purchasing power? And that's where you should be looking if you're going to make an investment. Um, money illusion can also influence people's perception of outcomes. Experience has shown that people generally perceived an approximate 2% cut in nominal income with no change in monetary value as unfair, but see a 2% rise in nominal income where there is 4% inflation as fair, despite being almost rational equivalents. <clears throat> Furthermore, money illusion means nominal changes in price can influence demand even if real prices have remained constant. Um, the article continues. It's not lengthy. You can find it yourself. Um, again, money illusion. You can find it on uh, Google it. And it turns out that it's not just a contrived argument. It's been around. Economists have recognized this for a long time. And, you know, 
it gives a certain amount of things I've been that I wasn't aware of. I didn't know that the the concept had been recognized in a meaningful way. And I was trying to figure it out for myself. And now you say, oh, wait a second. They've already done this. They, were, they, were, they understood this a century ago. I'm just now figuring it out, and I'm going to guarantee that 99.9% of the people in the audience are just now beginning to grasp this idea. If you want to prosper in this world, don't worry about the price. Worry about the purchasing power. Right? Gold's purchasing power has increased in the last 12, 15 months. Price is down. Well, purchasing power is up. The purchasing power of gold goes far back than just the last year and a half. You can take an ounce of gold, which is a perfect example of your money illusion. You can take an ounce of gold today, and it will buy you the same thing as it did 100 years ago. Well, in some regards, it might even buy you more. Well, I mean, but right, but that's the prime illusion. example. It'll buy you a good suit. It'll buy you a good suit in 1900. It'll buy you a good suit today. Exactly. All right. That's Longer than 100 years it. anymore. The illusion and, yes. is not in the gold. That is the reality. The illusion is in these pieces of paper we carry around in our wallet and we think of as money. And people only see price denominated in these pieces of paper. But the gold is hanging on to its value. It goes up. It varies. There's, there's a certain amount of variation. But in terms of the dollar has lost 95% of its purchasing power since Nixon went off the gold standard in 1971. We don't even pay attention to it. A dollar today is worth a nickel when I was a kid. I, do we care? No. We just hang on to those $100 bills and we salivate like one of Pavlov's dogs. Ooh, a $100 bill. They are telling us from the perspective of economists, those of us who are salivating at the sight of a $100 bill are irrational. On the other hand, if those of, those of us who salivate at the sight of a gold coin, they're actually responding to objective reality. They are rational people. And this is part of the problem you have sometimes is communicating this idea. Because the implication are that those of us who embrace the modern monetary system, we're actually irrational. The ones who sit back and say, oh, paper dollars, debt-based monetary system, fiat currency, it's the modern way to go. You're irrational. Irrational in the sense of being crazy. The other people are sitting back and saying, no, no, wait a second, I think gold is the way to go. They're the ones that are rational, and, and most of the world is saying, you're crazy. Gold is nothing. All right? We need paper and digital dollars and paper dollars, and that's the formula for getting rich. The world is mad, Melody. You understand that? And this, this article on money illusion, it explains to me at least some of the frustration we can wind up feeling at times you try to communicate what you think is right, you try to communicate what you think is true, and yet it falls on deaf ears. And the reason is because people uh, have succumbed to this money illusion. They have become irrational. And as long as they remain irrational, it's going to be difficult to make them understand, wait, here's reality over here. You are living in a dream world. Got your paper money, your digital money, well, dream Al, world. One of the reasons it falls on 
on deaf ears is because you have so many other financial planners and so forth that are that that, you know they're they're they don't want people to understand. understand. They fell, and they deal in gold and gold paper. They they fell away from the fundamental of gold, yep. and that's what I've been trying to say. They don't focus, and I think it has damaged the gold and silver markets. Yep. I think why that I think that is why there is a huge lack of interest in gold and silver. But at um, the same time, created an opportunity. So you can their get gold opportunity. And it created cheap, their cheap, opportunity. Cheap. Created their opportunity when people just got into the market, you know, after 2008 when it was easy. It was easy to sell gold and silver, and uh, you know they threw a lot of pay- people into paper, gold and silver, uh, without explaining the purchasing power of gold and how it protects it over yep. a long period of time. We'll and talk more about this in the future, Melody, because we'd be out of time. All right. But you folks can look this up yourself, the money illusion, money illusion. Google it. See what you can learn about it. I'm Alfred Addis here with Melody Cedarstrom on Financial Survival. We're out of here. Thanks for listening. Hope you tune in to us again tomorrow. In the meantime, the good Lord bless you, me, Melody, and Frank, the producer. Bye-bye. all day to pay the bills I have to pay. Ain't it sad? Still, there never seems to be a single penny left for me. That's too bad. In my dreams, I have a plan. If I got me a wealthy man, I wouldn't have to work at all. I'd pull around and have a ball. Radio Network is heard on Galaxy 19 at 97 degrees west, transponder 23, frequency 12115, audio PID 2595. AVR is heard on the left side audio channel, and AVR2 is heard on the right side audio channel. Remember, both AVR and AVR2 are on Galaxy 19. Same network, double the choices. Can your family survive a food shortage lasting two weeks, six months, or maybe longer? Sound far-fetched? We live in precarious times. There is an ever-increasing possibility of food shortages caused by terrorist attacks, natural disasters, truck strikes, or monetary collapse. You owe it to yourself and family to prepare, and you can by getting a supply of our long-storing, freeze-dried, and dehydrated foods. Our foods are time-tested to store for decades, require a minimum of time and energy to prepare while maintaining superior nutritional value, freshness, and taste. Our foods were designed for the space program and are in constant use today by our own nuclear submarine service. Contact the Freeze Dry Guy today at freezedryguy at lancet.com. That's freezedryguy at l-a-n-s-e-t.com or call 530-265-8333. 530-265-8333. And let them know you heard it on American Boys Radio.
phone for business or staying in touch with family. Your cell phone use is increasing. Use the Wave Shield, developed for ultimate cellular protection. The Wave Shield blocks, reduces, and deflects up to 97% of the radiation from entering the soft tissue of your ear. The Wave Shield, made of a patented mesh material, is proven and tested to block radiation without affecting reception. Order your Wave Shield today for only $19.95. Did he just say $19.95? Hey, times are tough, so American Voice Radio Network is cutting the price to $17.95. That's right, $17.95 plus mailing. You can protect yourself, family, and friends from cell phone danger to your inner ear. $17.95 at TheAmericanVoice.com. That's the superstore at TheAmericanVoice.com. $17.95 plus mailing. Order now. makes deep sea salt from France so different. Up from the ocean depths in the south of France flow undersea rivers of pristine sea water. At high tide, the prepared salt ponds are filled with this water. Over spring and summer, processed only by ocean breezes and sunshine, the brine thickens and salt crystals float to the top. These are harvested with nets and deposited on wooden drainage flats to dry. The salt is then gathered up, packaged, and shipped around the world. This salt is much more than a box of lifeless sodium chloride. Soldiers worth their salt were once paid with this valuable commodity. It contains 78 to 84 balancing elements. This is living salt, and once you have tasted it, you will never go back to anything else. I've seen this salt in gourmet shops for $30 a pound. Get it now at 4spectrum.us for under $8 a pound. Order 10 pounds and enter the coupon code AVRSALT at checkout and save $20. Ships free to your door or call 800-581-8906. Order today. Fighting soldiers from the sky Fearless men who jump and die Men who mean just what they say The brave men of the Green Beret all right, everybody. Wow, you're right exactly where you're supposed to be and just when you're supposed to be. And that is Freedom Call on American Voice Radio. And my name is Bo Greitz. I'm your host for this hour. And my purpose is through experience and, uh, if needs be, your help and research, I straighten out and add two stories that... Uh, should be of interest to you, whether they be international or local, because you just 15-second soundbite doesn't get it. And uh, politically biased uh, newspapers, which they all are, uh, they don't get it either. And so having uh, served most of my adult life in positions uh, behind the veil of national security, uh, for example, I was the intelligence officer, reconnaissance chief for Delta Force. Uh, I ran special uh, intelligence operations. Uh, I had an army of Cambodians during the Vietnam War. Uh, I was on the Army General Staff as the chief of special activities. I was the uh, also in the office of the Secretary of Defense in uh, Defense uh, Security Agency. Uh, 
And, uh, wow, you look into uh, what these offices are and do, and you see that there is a very wide span. And as part of my duties in Defense uh, Security Agency, I was Chief of Congressional Relations, uh, which covered both the House and the Senate. So, and wow, uh, while I was on the Army General Staff uh, and General William C. Westmoreland, uh, a wonderful, intelligent, good-looking man who was head of the military forces in Vietnam, the first part of the war, uh, he uh, then moved on to become the chief of staff of the Army. Uh, prior to that, he was uh, commanding general of the 101st Airborne. As a colonel, he commanded the 187 uh, Airborne Regimental Task Force that jumped into Korea on two combat jumps. Westmoreland was commandant of West Point. Uh, he loved elite soldiers. That was good for me. Now, when Westmoreland retired, uh, I was honored by being featured in his memoirs as the American soldier, and it was uh, because of a couple of uh, special ops that he thought uh, were exceptional, and he used them uh, spanning World War II, Korea, and Vietnam as examples of uh, courage, ingenuity, uh, making the uh, impossible routine, miracles on demand. Now, the man that took his place as chief of staff of the Army uh, was uh, Abrams. Clank, clank, I'm a tank, uh, was his nickname. And uh, he hated special forces. Colonel Rowe, who was a special forces group commander, uh, in Vietnam, lied to Creighton Abrams. He should not have done so. Uh, and I wouldn't have. I worked with the four-star generals over there, and uh, I have in uh, certain debriefings, where a debriefing is where now you go over an op that uh, was covert in nature, and now during the uh, the starting, you tell your mighty chiefs exactly how you see uh, doing this operation. In many cases, they don't want to know how you do it. I've been told, Bo, we don't want to know. We just want to know uh, that you did. But in other occasions, they are of such high visibility that uh, they then, when they're over, have a debriefing. And there is where the staff is invited in to pick apart the actual conduct of the operation so they can uh, have lessons learned and see what you accomplished and what you did right and wrong. And I have, during these debriefings, uh, been stopped uh, by four-star generals, uh, and I have been, uh, the staff was told to take a break. I've been asked to step outside. And in one case, uh, General William Westmoreland said, Bo, you've just got to be very careful what you say uh, to my staff. They don't understand the concepts and the necessities in combat 
of guerrilla forces where you don't have any support, like you can't transfer prisoners of war to military police uh, for security, movement, containment, interrogation, etc. And so you uh, need to understand that uh, these uh, staff officers are not uh, experienced in your kind of warfare. And I've asked, I've said, General, do you want me to lie to your staff? And he said, no, 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 Bo, I'm not going to tell you to lie. And uh, uh, he was a man of, of honor. And other four-star generals that I've known over there were also men of honor. And in, in Bo, and on these cases, they said, no, don't lie. Just be smart about how you answer. And so uh, I was. Now, what happened is General Creighton Abrams, uh, commanding general of the war in Vietnam, uh, called uh, Colonel Rowe, who was the 5th Group Commander, and just asked him uh, in plain talk, did you murder uh, a double agent? Well, now, why would General Abrams give a hoot about an agent who was working for us that was also working for the communist? Of course, if we had a lot of agents that we employed, that this uh, could be the case. If we found that someone was a double agent, then, of course, uh, they are going uh, to forfeit their life. Why is a four-star general with 500,000 Americans over there concerned about a Vietnamese uh, who is really at heart a communist and doing us harm? Well, anyway, Abrams asked Roe. Roe lied and said no. Abrams arrested Colonel Roe and his staff and had them put in Long Bend Jail, LBJ. And LBJ was president then. <laughs> and so, jeez, it was a mess because uh, there I was uh, when General Abrams took over as chief of staff of the Army, the only Special Forces soldier. Now, how would you know? Because special forces are the only ones that have both sides of the chest on their uniform covered in decorations and qualification badges and for this and that, foreign awards. And uh, he just looked at me, and Abrams had awarded me a Legion of Merit for crying out loud, you know, himself before he knew who I was. But he had took one look at me and said, I have nothing to say to you. So uh, the Army sent me to school, and I got a, a master's degree in communication, and it was during the uh, Tricky Dick uh, Watergate. And they, they got rid of the vice president, who was the governor of Maryland, and uh, for being uh, corrupt. Well, all the governors, you know, they get a kickback from all these big contractors. I mean, look at how little governors generally make of the state. 
you could understand that. Well, anyway, they got rid of him. And uh, <clears throat> then uh, we got a guy uh, that nobody ever voted for uh, as our vice president. And the next thing you know, Ford became president because Watergate washed away Tricky Dick. And then Ford turned around and appointed a big banker that nobody had ever voted for. And uh, we had a president, a vice president, that not a single American had voted for. And Squeaky Fromm starts shooting at uh, Gerald Ford. It's a good thing that Ford uh, fell down a lot. You know, Ford had been a football player in college and so he got used to dodging, and he'd fall down, and, you know, it's harder to hit a moving target. So Squeaky missed him. Otherwise, we could have been in real trouble with a banker running this country. So uh, I was giving you some of my background to know the things that I know. Now, uh, we know that the biggest uh, tragedy uh, here since the holidays, uh, it was in Tucson, Arizona, where uh, a young uh, three times elected Democrat, which shows that she was very popular, a young uh, Jewish lady by the name of, uh, they called her Gabby, Gabriella, a beautiful name, Gifford. She had, because uh, you vote for Congress people every two years. So she had served two tours, and she got elected when most Democrats went down and was replaced by Republicans. Well, Miss um, Congresswoman Gifford was reelected in Tucson. And so she was doing uh, rather unique, I think she kind of, uh, took it off, and maybe not. Maybe this was original with her. But, you know, the Tea Party started holding these uh, town forums and this kind of stuff. Well, uh, Miss Gifford uh, was having uh, Congress on the street. <laughs> and she was having a meeting uh, with constituents and the people she'd invited. There was a federal judge uh, who came and was killed. There were little children. A little nine-year-old girl uh, was killed. And, of course, they were killed uh, by uh, this man who a lot of people say, well, uh, Jared Lee uh, Loeffner was uh, deeply mentally insane. Uh, and I, I agree. He certainly acted as if he was insane. His statement was, what good is government if words have no meaning? And uh, it, was, it has become obvious that uh, Jared Loeffner and uh, Congresswoman Gifford had some communication prior to uh, this massacre that occurred in Tucson. And uh, we know there's some communication because while the police had five times uh, been involved uh, with 
this Jared Loeffner uh, at Pima is the county there that Tucson is in. Pima Community College was a school that he was going to, and on five different occasions, he had uh, gotten basically out of control and uh, was emotionally upset to the point where they had uh, armed officers uh, come in to quiet him down. And so this is a pretty good case, I think, for uh, uh, his uh, inability to control his feelings. Now, you have to wonder, how does a guy like this uh, get hold of a gun? Well, you know, he may not legally. I don't know. We haven't gone there yet. But he uh, did have a Glock 15. Now, a Glock is a semi-automatic, mainly plastic uh, weapon. As a matter of fact, under... Uh, this was back in the uh, 80s when the Glock came out. It was thought to be invisible because at the level of the metal detector that we had in those days, you could actually uh, take a Glock apart and you could get it through a metal detector and the uh, observers uh, wouldn't put it together because uh, so many pieces of the Glock are, are non-metallic. I used, I chose the Glock to train the Afghan Mujahideen uh, when we were training them in the 80s to uh, kick the Russians out of Afghanistan. It wasn't because the Glock is a good weapon. I personally, it's plastic. The trigger is plastic. Other parts are plastic. Plastic means that with heat, with humidity, with use, with pressures involving uh, exploding of gunpowder and high-velocity expulsion of, uh, of bullets, this is not going to last long. So you don't get a Glock uh, to, let's say, use as a range gun where it's going to be fired uh, a couple hundred times a day. It's very poor choice. But I chose Glock to train the Afghan because it's very boxy. And uh, the key to training anyone to hit the target with uh, every shot, that's called gun control, is the front sight. And so with the Glock, you have this big, boxy, square front sight and you have this uh, open-windowed square rear sight, and it's really hard not to be able to look down uh, the length of the pistol and say, oh, here's the rear sight, ah, there's the front sight, there's the target, bang. And so uh, a Glock is a very common weapon, but again, it isn't the weapon of choice of uh, professionals. Anyway, he had this, uh, and he uh, went in. He used taxis to go everywhere he was going on the morning that uh, he shot 20 people. Six of them he shot to death, including a federal judge, and not including 
Congressman Gifford, who he shot through the head. This is a 9-millimeter parabellum uh, Glock. Uh, the 9-millimeter parabellum is the same thing that the Luger used during World War II and the P-38 uh, standard German uh, machine gun, light submachine gun, and pistol rounds. And so the 9-millimeter is used by a lot of uh, police forces. But rather than uh, drive his car around, uh, for some reason, uh, he, uh, the night before, stayed at a motel. All right, now he actually gets in his car at 7.30 uh, in the morning, and he runs a red light in Tucson, and he's given a warning. Now, he's got a black bag in the vehicle, uh, which was noticed by the police. Uh, Jared Loeffner goes into Walmart, and uh, he the first Walmart he stopped at, they wouldn't sell him the ammunition, but he bought a. He went to another Walmart because they, they're plentiful, as you know, also known as China Mart, and uh, he bought. Uh, ammunition uh, for his 9mm Glock. And uh, then um, everywhere uh, else that he traveled uh, that day, he took a taxi cab. And uh, I, we have, I've heard it. <laughs> I've seen it that this looks like it might be MK Ultra. We talked about, uh, I just opened the door for that yesterday uh, on Freedom Call. And I mentioned to you, and, and so let me try to get my arms without spending uh, too much time here, because we need to advance this story to the max degree. i got a lot of things I want to tell you today. But when you go back and look at the CIA, and uh, you remember uh, Eisenhower? Well, uh, John Foster Dulles was his Secretary of State. And now this is back in the 50s, late 50s. And then Kennedy won. See, Ike spent eight years as president. He had Tricky Dick as his vice president. And then in the election of 1960, November of 1960, Kennedy won. Well, prior to this, uh, we had J. Edgar, uh, Hoover, J. Edgar Hoover was head of the FBI. Uh, we had Dulles uh, was uh, Secretary of State. Well, the Dulles brother was in the OSS during World War II and was actually kind of the first uh, director of Central Intelligence. And uh, Dulles was totally obsessed with a development of a Manchurian candidate. Now, this was deep into the Cold War. And there was all kinds. At this time, there was no law against uh, taking the life of a, uh, of a emerging nation's head of state, like uh, Patrice Lumumba. And, uh, oh, just so many, I can't even, I won't even bother to take time to, to give you a review of them. You remember these third world emerging nations. I mean, they came and they fell. 
Well, uh, we were looking for a perfect uh, Manchurian candidate, someone who could uh, leave the government blameless and yet commit murder. Now, as a person who was an instructor at the L.A. Hypnosis uh, Institute, I can guarantee a couple of things. One is they say that uh, a woman, uh, for example, cannot be made to do anything under hypnosis that she wouldn't uh, do normally in the conscious mind. That is, those are sweet words, but they're not the truth. Let me give you a quick example, because I'm leading up to uh, what about as close as the CIA ever came to a Manchurian candidate. Uh, you uh, put a, a female in uh, deep hypnosis, uh, some non-ballistic state at least. That means she's uh, amnesiac at that point. Uh, she, uh, cannot, she can be made not to remember. And uh, you tell her she's come in from work, and you uh, have her go through the motions of locking the doors, of taking the telephone off the hook, of running a nice hot uh, bath, and uh, making sure that everything is secure and all right, and then getting into the bath and just relaxing and enjoying uh, such an event. Well, she wouldn't dare think about wearing her clothes. And so you can have her totally uh, immersed in a virtual and imaginary uh, bath. And she will naturally uh, disrobe in order uh, to get in. See, uh, being hypnos, when it first uh, happened, there was a guy named Braid, and he hollered out in England, that's hypnos, uh, which uh, in the language means that's sleep. But, uh, <laughs> friends, you do not have to be catatonic or asleep. You can be running down the beach uh, with eyes wide open and be totally deep in hypnosis. Uh, I won't take time right now because I noticed it was coming up uh, here for a break, but... The idea, how do you get a Manchurian candidate? You, how do you have a man, one more step, to commit suicide? You tell the man that he is on the beach, that you're walking down the beach with your shoes off. You can feel the water. Uh, and he, he thinks this is actually happening. And you just have him walk right off of a balcony or out of a motel room. And he falls for 10 or 15 floors and is dead. Nobody touched him. Well, uh, all of these pieces uh, build up to people who, and I mentioned uh, using my mom just a little experiment without her knowing it, about uh, instead of coffee, she told my children what I'd rather have is a good cigar, just to show you how a... You can give a suggestion, and then they forget that suggestion until it's given, and then they 
they they don't know what they're doing. They will carry out those orders. So in this case, we shouldn't rule out a law nurse association. And I'll get right back to that and a lot of other news. So please be patient. Stay with American Voice Radio, especially Freedom Call, will you? And coming right back. Control is a leading national organization dedicated to reasonable levels of legal immigration and effective enforcement to stop illegal immigration. With more than 250,000 members and supporters nationwide, we are an effective voice for immigration reform. AIC stands up in Washington for the views of most Americans on immigration. We are the leaders in stopping recent legislation to reward 10 million or more illegal aliens with legal status and eventual citizenship. The late Georgia Congressman Charlie Norwood had this to say about us. AIC has earned a reputation among members of Congress as one of the most active and responsive advocacy groups in the field of immigration. Join AIC today. For more information, go to our website, immigrationcontrol.com. ImmigrationControl.com or call 540-468-2023. That's 540-468-2023. Can your family survive a food shortage lasting two weeks, six months, or maybe longer? Sound far-fetched? We live in precarious times. There is an ever-increasing possibility of food shortages caused by terrorist attacks, natural disasters, truck strikes, or monetary collapse. You owe it to yourself and family to prepare, and you can by getting a supply of our long-storing, freeze-dried, and dehydrated foods. Our foods are time-tested to store for decades, require a minimum of time and energy to prepare while maintaining superior nutritional value, freshness, and taste. Our foods were designed for the space program and are in constant use today by our own nuclear submarine service. Contact the Freeze Dry Guy today at Freeze Dry Guy at Lancet.com. That's Freeze Dry Guy at L A N S E T.com or call 530-265-8333. 530-265-8333. And let them know you heard it on American Voice Radio. What makes deep sea salt from France so different? Up from the ocean depths in the south of France flow undersea rivers of pristine sea water. At high tide, the prepared salt ponds are filled with this water. Over spring and summer, processed only by ocean breezes and sunshine, the brine thickens and salt crystals float to the top. These are harvested with nets and deposited on wooden drainage flats to dry. The salt is then gathered up, packaged, and shipped around the world. This salt is much more than a box of lifeless sodium chloride. Worth their salt were once paid with this valuable commodity. It contains 78 to 84 balancing elements. This is living salt, and once you have tasted it, you will never go back to anything else. I've seen this salt in gourmet shops for $30 a pound. Get it now at 4spectrum.us for under $8 a pound. Order 10 pounds and enter the coupon code AVRSALT at checkout and save $20. Ships free to your door or call 800 581 8906. Order today. 
American Voice Radio Network is heard on Galaxy 19 at 97 degrees west, transponder 23, frequency 12115, audio PID 2595. AVR is heard on the left side audio channel, and AVR2 is heard on the right side audio channel. Remember, both AVR and AVR2 are on Galaxy 19. Same network, double the choices. with you and uh, this is uh, on the outset you're going to hear from President Obama at five o'clock my time uh, out here in the west coast uh, eight o'clock if you're back east Obama and Michelle are both in Tucson and uh, they're going to make a nationwide broadcast and Everybody is uh, kind of guessing at what uh, Obama is going to say. Uh, back, uh, you know, Clinton uh, at the Oklahoma City uh, bombing, the Tim McVeigh thing, uh, Clinton laid this thing uh, at the uh, footstep of uh, right wing talk radio. Yeah, like uh, Freedom Call. And uh, American Voice uh, has as its uh, curriculum, basically, uh, right-wing, I think you'd call it, a talk radio. And Clinton said, that was that was it. And I saw, I mean, remember, constitutional groups were meeting in those days. And uh, what I saw on all the newspapers, you know, they run these, these things that are syndicated here are two militiamen that look really stupid, and they're holding a little dead baby, and you can tell the baby's dead because of arms, legs, and the black marks, you know, on the face. And it says uh, militia on uh, a name tag going across. Each one of these guys are wearing, you know, like uh, baseball caps, like they were in a militia. And they said, well, we done good, huh? Gee, man. And then the fact is, is that uh, that the purpose, the person who did all of this thing, Timothy McVeigh, he was never a part of any militia. Now he did have some connections with the Church of Elohim, which is up on the uh, Arkansas border near Tulsa, Oklahoma, and we never did go there because there's as many government agents that uh, infiltrate. Uh, places like the Church of Elohim, but uh, 
the head of that church was due to be executed, and he was uh, listening and laughing to the radio as uh, the bomb was being reported, uh, and he made the statement that he had won. So he knew all about uh, Tim McVeigh, and Tim McVeigh was uh, seen uh, with these guys in the Church of Elohim. I'm not talking, this is not a story about Tim McVeigh. Uh, this story, of course, that uh, we we're focusing on is out of Tucson, not Oklahoma City. But uh, it'll be interesting to see what the president says, because Clinton was president at the time of the Oklahoma City bombing, and he uh, laid it on. I mean, therefore, there were uh, preparedness expos, uh, and as I mentioned, constitutional study groups. Uh, there were legal, uh, second uh, Title X, U.S. Code militias, and there's nothing wrong with those as long as they are not uh, for criminal activity and breaking the laws of the United States. And uh, so therefore, right after the Oklahoma City bombing, my gosh, if you were even a Christian, uh, you were labeled, you know, some kind of harebrained right-wing nut. Well, here we sort of go back. Now, I mentioned, and then I went over this too fast, so I'm going to just back up a little bit. Uh, CIA operations all have a designator. And it's like RZ was the designator uh, for uh, an area of operation that, where the team down in Mexico uh, was trained that killed Kennedy. And their code name was RZ Rifle. Well, the code name for the Manchurian candidate was MK, which actually, uh, I believe, probably stood for the Ontario. It doesn't have to be a single city, but it's a geographical area because they had the Memorial uh, uh, Psychiatric Hospital up there where they uh, did a lot of experimentation. Almost all of the, uh, of the Manchurian candidate uh, research, development, experimentation was done uh, up in the uh, Canadian area. So MK Ultra was the, uh, so you have a, a term, MK Ultra. Now, uh, this is no fool and doolin'. You can go back to the congressional record. I mean, now this is public record that, uh, yes, they have admitted there really was an MK Ultra, and yes, they've really admitted, uh, just like Operation Lack. Uh, and that you meant large area coverage that they dropped cadmium sulfide on 40 states that uh, are east of the Rocky Mountains. And it was out of Utah. They called it uh, Operation Black, which stood for large area coverage. And they wanted to see what would happen if the Soviets were to drop or any other enemy. Uh, a chemical or a biological agent, uh, cadmium sulfide, will kill you. Uh, and it certainly makes me so they can say, tell how effective something is by the uh, disease that occurs in the wake. So would you approve of your government flying 
uh, what has been now, uh, you know, uh, sometimes accurately and probably most times not accurately, chemtrails uh, that are contrails, but uh, chemtrails when they were dropping cadmium sulfide. They admitted doing it. And so they've admitted to MK Ultra. Now, let me give you another example. Have you ever thought about uh, when, uh, what, what kind of religion is Cuba? Well, we all know that Cuba is Catholic as a country. Well, uh, hmm, let me now bring up something that would be contradictory. Uh, what kind of religion uh, did Castro have uh, in his government? Uh, what kind of religion do the communists embrace? Uh, they're atheists. There is no God. It's only government. God uh, see, created us. We created government. No, no, not to the commies. Uh, government, uh, you know, creates the people. <laughs> so uh, let me ask you something that maybe you have forgotten about, but something which uh, as a young uh, lieutenant in special forces uh, during a pay of pigs operation, there was an operation Pedro Pan. Now, Pedro, everybody knows that. What is that in English? Peter. So what is Peter Pan? Well, a, I didn't even think about it. I knew there was an Operation uh, Peter Pan. And what Operation Peter Pan did was they got children out of Cuba, 40,000 children, uh, by the Catholic Church helping the CIA to bring children, not the parents, <laughs> to bring children, Cuban children, that the parents did not want to see them brought up under communism. The Catholic Church uh, ferreted them just like uh, the Underground Railroad of the Civil War. And the CIA, of course, had the operation set up, and it was codenamed Peter Pan. Well, ask yourself, what happened? Now, this was during this uh, max effort at a Manchurian candidate. I personally, <laughs> this is a gospel according to Bo, that I personally believe that uh, not all of them, but some of the uh, Peter Pan, they were screened. My gosh, it's like a uh, professional hypnotist will screen a crowd to pick out the people that he's going to use in his demonstration. You don't want to get somebody that's going to be resistant. So I believe that uh, Pedro Pan, you got 40,000 candidates, you screen them, and some of them uh, go uh, to uh, as candidates uh, for Manchur the Manchurian candidate. Well, now, once uh, you... And I know what the formula would be. So once you have this model, now uh, what would be your percentage if you got a certain kind of personality and you uh, standardized your process and you, uh, you work, let's say, with 100 candidates? I would say that you could easily count on 60% of the 100 candidates being graduates. 
meaning that they walk out of there uh, primed as Manchurian candidates. Now, as time goes by and experiences in life, uh, you're going to lose some of these. But I would say you would still have a rather high percentage that would retain uh, these subconscious instructions. And uh, each one of them could have uh, a mission. And so what am I saying about this guy, Jared uh, Longer? It's just strange that, one, he is, uh, his mother is Jewish, and he claims to be an atheist. Uh, but do you find it interesting that uh, it's a rather small synagogue? There's only about 150 people uh, in this uh, because it's kind of a revised. You know, the Judaism has the same uh, types of uh, the problems that Christianity, that Islam have. You have these different uh, ideas. Uh, and so there is a revised, and apparently uh, there is a, uh, for example, a female rabbi, uh, which you don't see very often, uh, that uh, was the uh, Gabriel Giffords rabbi. And uh, Amy, who is Jared Loeffner's mother, and uh, Congressman Gifford attended the same synagogue. Now, there's another point that, uh, I, again, I like talking to Frank during the breaks because uh, he comes in with an interesting uh, uh, spin, you know, an interesting observation from a different side than I do, typically. And he said, Bo, have we forgotten that there was a federal judge that was murdered? And there was a little girl. Well, where is the attention? The attention is on the little girl and on the congresswoman being shot. Now, she is stable. She is improving. And they have, they say, 101% assurance that she's going to continue uh, her progress of healing. Hallelujah. Well, where do you hear anything about the judge <laughs> who was shot dead? Now, what was this judge's assignments? Was there anything there that might tie? In other words, does this Jared Lee Loeffner, could he just be insane? Or could there be something more to it than that? Well, uh, before, because, see, uh, we'll need to watch now at, at what the president has to say. Because uh, in Clinton's time, it led to a catastrophic wound uh, to the patriot movement. Constitutional groups suddenly became anti-American. The militia dried up, uh, just like a spider on a hot stove. And uh, even if you were Christian, people looked at you like, uh-oh, uh, maybe we should be careful. You're not going to blow up the federal building, are you? So what we're what I'm saying is let's keep uh, the hand open and let's – it is interesting, isn't it, that all of a sudden uh, when you take a second look, 
you begin to see, and why would this intelligent, good-looking, articulate, obviously popular uh, young uh, Jewish woman, why would she subscribe to this psychopath, this idiot, Jared Loeffler's YouTube site? I don't subscribe to anybody's YouTube site. So, uh, and there is this message. What good is government when words have no meaning? Well, all right. Anyway, I leave that because there there are other things. And I want to be able to make sure that uh, we cover some of these other uh, things, as a matter of fact. Mike Jackson's uh, doctor, remember he had his preliminary hearing? Well, he is going to face trial for involuntary manslaughter. I think the fact that he walked out of the room, I think the fact that he was on the cell phone uh, when he should have been with his patient, I think the fact that he apparently either didn't know or wasn't trying to uh, resuscitate Michael Jackson, when you push with one hand on a person in bed, all they do is spring up and down. And so the, the person uh, on 911 said, put him on the floor where you've got something to compress against. Anyway, he is going to come before a jury, and I think that uh, he should, and I believe that that is good. All right, now, uh, and Obama and Michelle are in Tucson, and they will be speaking at 5 o'clock uh, Pacific time, 8 o'clock uh, Eastern time. And just uh, remember what Clinton said and uh, give a, an ear to what Obama might say that might affect our liberties. Kind of interesting. Now then... Uh, I want to, to to mention this, and boy, there's so many uh, stories out here. Uh, let me bring this uh, to light. There uh, was a driver, a pregnant woman. She had a one-year, uh, I'm sorry, one-month-old baby in the back seat of the car. She was, uh, they had been stopped on a regular traffic stop. As the driver got out, this pregnant woman slipped over behind the wheel and uh, roared off. Well, the police, uh, this happens around St. Louis. Uh, and so the police uh, take after her. This is actually in a little town of Jennings. And she is going 100 miles an hour in residential uh, areas. She almost runs into a school bus going on the, on the wrong side of the road. She drives down the wrong side of a divided highway. She uh, runs into a police car. Uh, the pursuing uh, police uh, put down a, a, a stop strip, which has the spikes, and uh, as the car passes, a uh, policeman that put out the spike strip uh, fires his pistol. He doesn't hit the, the wheels, the tires of the vehicle, but he uh, reports that he's firing his pistol at the tires. Well, they catch the woman, 
And I said to one month, this is not true, one year old baby in the back seat. Anyway, uh, the policeman is disciplined. He's fired. He loses his badge because he discharged his weapon uh, when his life, even though the woman come roaring through there at an outrageous speed and had hit speed to 100 miles an hour in a residential uh, section and could have caused the death of any number of people, uh, I think I'd have pulled my pistol out and, uh, and, and used it, but the guy had the spike stripped down. Anyway, he is the focus uh, his name is David Hawk, H-A-U-C-K, and he has had to resign. Uh, they charging the woman uh, with endangerment of a child, duh, and, uh, you know, with some other minor, I mean, 100 miles an hour in a residential area, I think that woman would be in jail for a long time. And here is something that uh, maybe you should be reminded of if you have uh, possibly just irresponsible or, or grandchildren that aren't thinking, this kind of thing. Listen to what happened to this this baby, four months old, is in a crib. At 2.30 in the morning, the mother hears the baby crying. She gets up to see what's going on and uh, awakens her husband screaming and yelling because the pet ferret has chewed off seven of the baby's fingers, leaving him with his two thumbs and part of a pinky. Now... To me, uh, this, of course, is just, this is in Missouri. So it's not an excuse. Maybe if it was Texas or something. But Missouri is not an excuse. This, this is outrageous. Of course, the woman and the man are being looked at now. And uh, they are advising that the Shriners uh, have a hospital not far from Missouri where they could uh, transpose uh, some of the baby's toes and try to replace some of the uh, seven fingers because just having a thumb, four months old. Now the dad grabbed the ferret and threw it against the wall and killed it. Friends, that doesn't make any difference, does it? And so... Uh, what I'm saying is if you have pets and you have babies that are new in your life, make sure that the pets, uh, which you know, are mature but have sharp teeth, and they may see a little baby and think, hmm, I mean, you, could, uh, you hate to, to think a pet would do. But, you know, I can see there are some of these birds. Uh, there are uh, you know, rats, there are cats, there's, uh, look at any pet, and with an infant, make sure that the pet is in a cage or the infant is protected. I think this is one of the most horrible stories that I've heard. All right, I wanted to, because it's, uh, we're getting late into the hour, uh, 
I want to give you some uh, some kind of fun things that maybe you can uh, ponder so I don't leave you uh, <laughs> with this horrible scene. Anyway, uh, if you look at words and trans, uh, people that like to you know, play word games, Presbyterians, what can you make out of that? Best in prayer. You can arrange those letters. Astronomer, what can you make out of that? See, this is one of your emails that, to me that I enjoy opening that kind of helps me relax in the day, so I'm offering it to you as part of a Freedom Call. Astronomer, moonstarer. All right, how about uh, desperation? A rope ends it. That's right. The eyes, what can you make? They see. How about, uh, I like this one, George Bush. <laughs> he bugs gore is what you can make of that. The Morris Code. Remember, did he dot it, did he dot it? Well, here is, here comes dots. <laughs> That's what we always call the, the, well, dots and dashes. Dormitory. Dirty room. Slot machines, cash lost in me. How about election results, lies, let's recount. The earthquake, that queer shake, Fighting souls 11 plus 2 equals 12 plus 1. <laughs> Mother-in-law, the last one. Woman, Hitler. Oh, I don't believe that. All right, thank you for being patient and listening uh, to Freedom Call. Stay with American Voice Radio. It's just going to get better, please. I'll see you, God willing, tomorrow. These are men, America's best. One hundred men will test today, but only three. The Green Beret Trained to live Off nature's land Trained in combat And a to be uh, conspiracy talk <laughs> but unfortunately all that still has to do with health I mean take a look at what's going on with the, the fraud and drug administration and the pharmaceutical industry I mean it's undeniable that the FDA has a uh, quote-unquote controversial relationship with the pharmaceutical industry and why is that 
because not a single psychiatric drug is released into the market for administration until the FDA gives its safety a legitimate stamp of approval. But the question is, how legitimate is that stamp, and are those drugs truly safe? So what we have is the medical cartel formed by the marriage between the FDA and Big Pharma that has to come under scrutiny. And both parties have to be held accountable for their inexcusable corruption. What we're talking about is repeated scientific fraud, campaigns to aggressively silence the FDA's own scientists and other independent health organizations, and debilitation that is thrust upon innocent lives and people who trusted the FDA approved medication to heal themselves. So the so-called safety of these drugs released by the FDA has been called into question by a concerned minority who feel the need to speak out against the malpractices responsible for the incredibly high count of medical drug-related deaths in the United States. Now, I don't know if you know, but there is this uh, very notable American pediatrician who is an advocate for ethical health care whose name is Barbara Starfield. Well, she drew widespread attention to a report that was presented in the Journal of the American Medical Association back in the year 2000, where it was estimated that the number of deaths related to pharmaceutical drugs was approximately 106,000 per year. And Barbara Starfield's mission was to make this information available to the public because the mainstream media was not doing anything like that nor taking the initiative to do it. So despite a high record number of deaths and injuries, neither the federal government or the legislative body of justice took any remedial action. There was this uh, more recent statistic that was borrowed from a report presented by the Institute of Safe Medication Practices that revealed that in 2011, prescription drugs were the leading cause for 128,000 deaths and two to four million serious, disabling, or fatal injuries. Now, this is very alarming, and this evidence that no real action steps have been taken in the last 15 years to address 
the core issue of FDA-approved drug safety is absolutely ridiculous. Not only does the death toll remain unbelievably high, the entire situation remains concealed from the public. But this report that I'm talking about was compiled by a bunch of bold investigators that were able to penetrate the FDA's private database of quote-unquote serious adverse medical-related events, and they further labeled that report one of the most significant perils to humans resulting from human activities today. So what we're faced with is a situation that has witnessed one million Americans dying in the past 10 years due to the negligence and the I don't give a crap attitude of the medical cartel. And it's really hard to believe what is more concerning. The sheer number of lives expended for bureaucratic profit or the fact that this information has been hidden from the public. But what is clear is that weighing mass profit over the lives of a multitude of innocent people is a genocidal crime. To the FDA and Big Pharma, the masses appear no different than disposable guinea pigs for the medical cartel to run their experiments on. When the FDA finds scientific fraud or misconduct, they don't notify the public. They don't notify the medical establishment. And they don't even notify the scientific community that the results of a medical experiment are not to be trusted. So the FDA, the Fraud and Drug Administration, repeatedly hides evidence of scientific fraud, not just from the public, but from its scientific advisors, even as they were deciding whether or not a new drug should be allowed on the market. So there was even a congressional panel that investigated a case of fraud regarding a dangerous drug, and they couldn't even get straight answers. And for an agency devoted to protecting the public from bogus medical science, the FDA seems to be spending a lot of effort protecting the perpetrators of bogus science from the public. So FDA-approved prescription drugs have been rushed to the market in as little as six months from their date of conception just so the industry can begin to rake in money before the absolute safety of those drugs are determined. And then you've got risky drugs like Fosamax and painkillers like Vioxx that were on consumer shelves 
that were just bolstered by aggressive marketing and rushed reviews that lied about their safety. And it wasn't long until the lethal side effects of those drugs began to rear their ugly head in the form of severe neuropsychiatric events like agitation, violence, nightmares, insomnia, and suicide, suicidal tendencies. So in all those cases of unforeseen problems cropping up with people who have been prescribed supposedly safe substances, the FDA and its partner in crime, the pharmaceutical industries, argued that the side effects of a drug can only emerge when tested on a much larger, larger number than the relatively small groups of people they sample in controlled clinical trials. Come on. Supposedly making safety clinical trials irrelevant? In other words, the FDA claimed it was impossible to predict how their drugs would affect each and every potential user in the population since everyone would react uniquely to the drug. So the FDA authorities, they've kind of neatly shed responsibility for harm done to the consumer by pointing to their disclaimer note explaining that the adverse side effects may emerge. Come on, are you guys kidding me? So not only is the FDA guilty of releasing questionable drugs and misinformation regarding their benefits to the public, they have also waged aggressive campaigns of terror against natural healers, nutritional supplement companies, and other companies promoting holistic health for those appearing threatening to their monopoly on pharmaceutical medicine. And a really good example of this tyranny could be seen in the FDA campaign against the Life Extension Foundation. The Life Extension Foundation publishes information about the healing power of nutritional supplements and genuine anti-aging breakthroughs within the domain of natural health. In 1987, 25 armed FDA agents, along with a troop of U.S. Marshals, broke into the Life Extension Foundation offices in Fort Lauderdale and detained their leader, William Falloon, at gunpoint. The employees were lined up against the walls and searched. And over the next 12 hours, thousands of official documents were seized, including nutritional products and 5,000 informational newsletters that were about to be mailed off to the members and subscribers of the Life Extension Foundation. Does that sound real to you? In 1990, armed FDA agents raided and shut down an independent pet store pioneered by a woman named Sissy Harrington McGill, 
for the crime of using vitamin supplements to keep pets healthy. Then there was a similar raid on a guy named Ken Scott who founded an independent vitamin business in a rural town called Mount Angel in Oregon. And the guy was accused guilty of selling nutritional supplements containing the powerful coenzyme Q10, which was known to promote cellular and cardiovascular health. Now, the guy, Ken Scott, was a passionate natural health advocate and educated his consumers by sending them news articles that described the benefits of his products in greater depth. So the FDA succeeded in shutting down his business with hardly any resistance. And these are the kind of raids that have been numerous and the cases touched upon the article are in the, that I'm talking about are only the tip of the iceberg. The scientific inquiry pursued by the medical cartel under the guise of a humanitarian agenda is nothing but bullshit fueled mostly by financial greed and an impatience to generate quick bucks. The FDA, being a government-supported $20 billion a year empire, has been able to casually sidestep all acquisitions, all accusations pointed at them for being single-handedly responsible for creating a silent holocaust. Then the political leaders of the country, they haven't even revealed the slightest awareness of the problem. There are doctors that are aware of the statistics and the lethal impacts of psychiatric drugs who remain equally silent and continue to issue prescriptions for them. There is a woman, her name is Martha Rosenberg, from Truth Out, and she conducted this powerful interview with a former FDA drug reviewer whose name was Ronald Kavanaugh. And Kavanaugh bluntly exposed the FDA as a criminal organization with a, a conglomerate of mob strategies to protect its crimes. And the guy, Kavanaugh, described these as widespread racketeering, witness tampering, and witness retaliation. And then the guy said he was threatened with prison and that the safety of his children were also threatened and all of this being done to prevent him from speaking with Congress or collaborating with criminal investigators. This guy was one of the few people within the FDA who insisted that a drug needed to actually be safe before it was relieved, released. But his honesty, his integrity, was perceived as a threat to the FDA. So the guy's assertion that the drug Pyridostigamine was to be administered to the U.S. troops to shield them against the effects of Nergias was ineffective and actually increased the lethality of certain agents. That didn't sit well with the FDA. 
and these cases of censorship of the FDA's own scientists are increasingly rampant at the FDA. So there was a recent survey released by the Union of Concerned Scientists that the scientists at the FDA described the agency as an environment of intimidation, censorship, and scientific fraud. And according to that survey, taken by almost a 1,000 FDA scientists, 40% of them, which would be roughly 400 people, feared retaliation because of voicing safety concerns over the drugs being released into the market. And over one-third of the scientists didn't even feel safe voicing concerns within the agency to their peers. And this is because many of those scientists, like the guy Kavanaugh, are being routinely intimidated to alter their research findings to suit the political and commercial agenda of making money. And the survey revealed an incredible 18.4% of scientists who have experienced being asked for non-scientific reasons to exclude or alter technical data in their work. 61% of the survey respondents admitted to having knowledge of cases where the Departments of Health and Human Services have inappropriately injected themselves into FDA determinations or actions. And only 47% of the scientists within the FDA believe that the FDA routinely provides complete and accurate information to the public. So what we're dealing with besides this silent genocide, is a classic case of government-fueled censorship of information. The oppression of valuable knowledge that if it fell into the hands of the people would provide them with an opportunity for self-reflection and a greater degree of autonomy, loosening the reliance on the established bureaucracies and absolutely shattering the illusion of benevolence that they falsely report, that they falsely promote. So this is what's happening here, okay? People do not care about you. The big governments, the big pharmaceutical companies, the medical profession, they do not care about you. They care about how much money you have and how much they can get from you. You better take that seriously because if you don't and you don't try to make changes for yourself, you are in deep, deep doo-doo. And why do people take drugs? And why do people get sick? Because they eat crapola. Everything that has a face and a mother. Processed foods, high fructose corn syrup. The list goes on and on and on. High oils, fatty oils that once you heat them up, they get 
they, they go rancid. Don't you understand how simple it is? If you adhere to a simple diet that is 95% vegetables and fruits and grains that are organic, even if you have to eat anything and had a face or a mother, use it as the garnish. Don't use it so it covers the entire plate. You understand? This will provide your body with incredible fiber, incredible nutrients, incredible vitamins, incredible minerals, because all the plant foods are the ones that contain all the essential vitamins and minerals. Okay, so what we have is that little kids that are born in America today are subjected to at least 56 doses of 14 different vaccines before they reach 18. And let me tell you, that's a lot different compared to what the kids got back in the 50s and the 60s. But the U.S., the CDC, the Centers for Deceit, Control, and Procrastination are laughing all the way to the bank while waiting the arrival of some 271 more vaccines which, when they become commercialized, will generate an additional $100 billion for vaccine companies by the year 2025, which is a short 10 years away. So vaccines for allergies, autoimmune disease, cancer, are all making their way to the development pipeline where they could end up one day on the mandatory vaccine schedule that the little kids are required to receive unless they opt for an extension before being exemption before being allowed to attend school. <laughs> it's all about making money and serving special interests. This is what the vaccine agenda is all about. And the CDC is in on the scam. And it's evidenced by these four federal studies that paint the CDC as a cesspool of corruption, mismanagement, and dysfunction with alarming conflicts of interest supporting its research, regulatory, and policy-making functions. So Robert, F. Robert Kennedy Jr. is the guy that is doing this study. And he put out a paper called Children at, at Risk, Vaccines, government, and big farms, dirty money. You understand? This is what's happening. So Kennedy has also warned of people like Paul Offit from the Philadelphia Children's Hospital a guy who sneaks his way into the CDC vaccine advisory board in order to push the vaccines or the vaccines for their employers. And in Offit's case, this P. 
pediatric whore recommended that his own vaccine for rotavirus be added to the CDC vaccination schedule, which later earned him, hey, come on, who cares? So the guy made $182 million in profit after he sold the patent of a rotavirus vaccine to Merck. Hey, come on. So it's a revolving door between industry and government, and it's having devastated consequences on on our kids. Who cares? So what if autism rates are higher than they've ever been, with one in 68 kids now diagnosed somewhere along the autism spectrum, according to the CDC? And then the chronic disease rates are skyrocketing, skyrocketing with, with being attributed to the injection of neurodamaging toxins like mercury and aluminum that are added to the, to, to the vaccines. So depending on the source you look at, there could be as many as 395 new vaccines in the development pipeline. There was a 2010 news medical article explaining that the vaccine industry scientists are busy testing all sorts of experimental vaccines on poor people living in the third world with groups like the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation leading the crusade. <laughs> you got to love it. So this exploitation of children living in developing countries has been taking place since the 70s with the least among us serving as human guinea pigs in this global vaccine experiment that embodies the very definition of human rights abuse. And in America, these same vaccines are being administered to children with no legal recourse at their disposal if they're harmed by the chemical cocktail. So basically, the vaccine industry money has neutralized virtually all the checks and balances that once stood between a decent pharmaceutical industry and our children. Vaccine industry immunity from lawsuits? Well, you know what that means? That means that there's no such thing as a safe vaccine. And this is where this is where we're at. We are actually living in a medical slavery. I mean, take, come on. You, you you sit there and you read a magazine or you look at TV, and you're soaking up the pharmaceutical advertisements, but you refuse to question where their health really begins. Seriously. So the. The, the, the handcuffs of the medical system are digging deep into the wrists of so many Americans who are chained down by a philosophy of disease management and bankrupting unthinkable drug costs. There was this data, new data that was revealed by, uh, it's called Express Scripts, that found that over a half a million Americans, are you sitting down for this? I think you're going to need to sit down. Pay at least $50,000 for prescription drugs. 
And these stats from 2014 also reveal that a staggering 100,000 Americans pay more than $100,000 yearly for prescriptions. <laughs> and those prices have tripled from the previous year. So overall, drug spending increased by 13% in 2014 alone. Cancer drugs have become the most enslaving, costing more than 100000 a year for patients who have been misled on the causes of cancer. So a pill to manage hepatitis C, can you believe this, a pill to manage hepatitis C, was listed as $1,000 for a pill, for one pill. And the study found that a cholesterol-lowering drug cost patients 14000 a year and a drug for cystic fibrosis, fibrosis um, <laughs> came to a cost that exceeded $250,000. Why doesn't anybody tell you that hepatitis C is, can be reversed naturally? Why don't they tell you that? $1,000 a pill? A thousand dollars a pill. Okay. So, well, Hillary Clinton thinks that the rising price of prescription, prescription drugs is motivated by profit. Duh. Oh, my God. You mean she's actually telling the truth for once? So her anti-capitalist views on the medical system and her belief that the government should price control the drugs would only perpetuate the dominance of an already controlling, restrictive medical environment that favors pharmaceuticals. So what she wants to do is she wants to put a $250 monthly cap for those who rely on pharmaceuticals. And this extension of the Affordable Care Act, oh, it sounds really kind and compassionate, but the bloated costs are only passed on to everyone who pays federal income tax. So basically, the shortcomings of this drug-driven system are forced onto everyone as a whole, perpetuating the problems with the medical system. So the true modalities of healing, nutritional therapies, holistic lifestyles, energy work, herbal formulas, organic plant-based diets, and integrative practices for restoring the mind, the body, and the spirit cannot be sold in a prescription bottle and therefore do not conform to today's interventionist, non-profession, disease management-based medical system. The failure of most drugs to heal should not be reason to blame free market capitalism. The failure of pharmaceuticals should open the doors to a more decentralized network of true healing modalities. For example, hospitals and doctors should not be taking money from the drug companies and pushing more pills. They should be coordinating at the local level with people who have first-hand experience in the healing arts. So why doesn't the healthcare system try to improve itself by following the example of people 
who have activated their body's innate healing abilities. It's because medical slavery is so commonplace because we are taught to look for health in intervention instead of listening to our bodies and understanding the causes of our health imbalances. So the more government gets involved in controlling health care, the more they endorse the pharmaceutical industry and redistribute their prices and failures, leading more people into perpetual medical slavery. Okay, the Affordable Care Act, ACA has commanded that people purchase health insurance so everyone can collectively pay for the bloated and enslaving prices of the medical system. So the government program tries to ease the cost of health care for all, but at the same time enslaves all of us to the mandate while legitimizing the entire system. Come on, you don't think health insurance is a scam? because it locks people into taking pharmaceuticals instead of encouraging preventive lifestyle factors such as vitamin D absorption, juice cleanses, consumption of clean water that is free of fluoride, heavy metals, and pesticides. Come on, man, the health insurance plans hardly ever cover anything tied directly to health, like organic diets or medicinal herbs. And the ACA simply subsidized the pharmaceutical industry and created a monopoly for people to be trapped in the drug-driven program. If the U.S. were truly a constitutional republic, as it should be, harmful, deadly pharmaceuticals would be put on trial and the pain of those drugs inflict would be put to an end. And if, if this rule of law took precedence, the drug makers would be convicted time and time again for causing the deaths of people around the world. If Republic law was real, most pharmaceutical drug companies would be shut down. And until that happens, medical slavery will continue. It doesn't matter how much the government intervenes to control the greed of the pharmaceutical industry. Legislation and executive action will always perpetuate the influence that the pharmaceutical companies have on the people. I mean, just for example, how is the criminal organization Merck and Company still around today after being responsible for the deaths of people whose lives were devastated by their drug Vioxx? Come on, the list of these faulty drugs is long, yet the companies are still in business. Maybe they pay fines as a form of justice, but those fines are tiny little amounts compared to the money that they make when they hurt people continuously. <laughs> and this is what we're dealing with, and this is what we think is normal, and this is the brainwash. You know, 
you watch TV, okay? And you get a quack doctor that compares seatbelt safety in cars to the safety of vaccines as if the vaccines have never been tested for safety by the establishment or the vaccine industry. So in the same interview, another doctor exposes the chemicals and vaccines and lets you know that they've never been tested for safety or verified as effective. So there's many reasons for this. And you can learn what it is when a great whistleblower gets his day in court and the idiot box makes the mistake of broadcasting the truth. It doesn't happen very often. But the mainstream media does have holes. And this was a really, really big one. On CNN's program, Erin Burnett Out Front, a Dr. Jack Wolfson gave us the quick lowdown on toxic vaccines and how the whole industry has pulled the wool over the eyes of about 300,000 Americans for more than 50 years. So Wolfen said, what am I supposed to do that we're injecting chemicals? Oh, he said, what I am opposed to is that we're injecting chemicals into our kids. This is aluminum and mercury and fetal protein, and there's antibiotics in there, okay? So Burnett retorts with some vaccine industry producer scripted one-liners to help America deal with this whistleblowing doctor and tries to reassure Americans they're going to be okay with their mercury and formaldehyde crap, okay? So the other doctor, who is a quack and a vaccine proponent, he speaks in the CNN interview about longevity and the seriousness of measles. But measles is often a simple illness accompanied by a rash and a fever that usually goes away just like chickenpox. So in the Aaron Burnett interview, during the Disneyland measles outbreak hoax and propaganda-style scare, she tries to parallel aluminum and vaccines with aluminum hydroxide and antacid tablets. Okay, this, however, is not being injected into muscle tissue with other carcinogenic chemicals, so it's kind of a a really bad comparison. Plus, lead is found in many food items and even medicine, But nobody's going to inject lead into their veins and call it immunity. I mean, no one in their right mind would do that, right? So that certainly will not save lives and preserve health, like the CD claims injecting aluminum or mercury as thimerosal and deadly formaldehyde would do. So the clip with with Wilson speaking is kind of hard to hear, probably because the YouTube doesn't want you to watch it, and neither does mainstream media or the vaccine industry complex. But they don't let the guy speak until they're at least five minutes into the interview. You know what I mean? So what happens is recently vaccinated little kids spread measles by shedding the live virus they've just been injected with. 
So to even mention that unvaccinated children shouldn't go to public schools during the measles outbreak is ridiculous fear-mongering that is just thrust upon you by a journalistic hack on MSM in the name of a for-profit industry, MSM meaning mainstream media, not the methyl sulfony methane which is organic sulfur crystals, which basically prevent you from getting the flu ever. So anyway, so real and non-fraudulent studies have shown plenty of risks of getting vaccines. But just because the CDC says they're safe and effective, that doesn't refute the studies. We don't put pesticides in vaccines. If, if you want to make that argument, even though the pesticides show up in the processed foods, go ahead, put some Roundup in the vaccine. Tell us it's safe and effective. Then have all the Congress prove it by getting their children tested first. That ain't never going to happen. You know that. So you have to understand that aluminum greatly increases the toxicity of mercury. So all this caution about minimum mercury tolerance is underestimated. The CDC scientists and all the doctors are well aware of this. I mean, look at the Gardasil HPV vaccine given ostensibly to try to protect against the human papilloma virus, which is a virus manufactured by Merck and administered to children as young as nine years of age for a rare sexually transmitted disease. Sexually transmitted, nine years old. So it contains polysorbate 80, sodium chloride, aluminum, and a denatured, which is fragmented and weakened form of the virus. So do you wonder why so many little girls are going into anaphylactic shock after getting this aluminum-laced HPV vaccine? And then... To make it even worse, they say it has to be given to little boys. Are you serious? The boys don't have the organ in their body. Only the girls have the organ that creates the problem if there's going to be a problem. Why would they give it to little boys? Because they'll make more money. Nobody gets it. You guys you just, you think, I know you guys think I'm out of my mind, but I'm just telling you the truth. Do you know that more than 34,000 pesticides derived from about 600 basic ingredients are currently registered for use in the United States by the EPA, the Environmental Pollution Agency? Industrial agriculture, meaning about 75% of all the land used to grow in the U.S. to grow food or raise animals, relies on those chemicals to grow food. So where has this gotten us? Pesticide exposure causes farm workers to suffer more chemical-related injuries and illnesses than other workforces. And this has led farmers to suffer from organ damage and cancer, leading to lawsuits against biotechnology firms 
and pesticide-creating companies like Monsatan, or otherwise known as Monsanto. About 95% of the country relies on groundwater for drinking water, yet it is often contaminated by pesticides, especially in agricultural areas. And for most of the U.S., the toxic waste byproduct of the aluminum, steel, and phosphate fertilizer industries, which used to be disposed of in lead-lined drums as a toxic waste problem to the tune of millions of dollars a year, is now being put into the water supply to heal cavities in the name of fluoride. <laughs> I have to tell you, I'm one of the guys that's kept fluoride out of Hawaii's water supply. But ironically, the only water supplies in Hawaii that are fluoridated, you ready for this, are on the military bases. Otherwise, all the water in Hawaii does not have fluoride. So now what we have is pesticide drift. This means that in places like California, you can't take a deep breath without inhaling pesticide chemicals. So as a result, you got more babies being born with preventable birth defects. The University of California in Berkeley found that little kids are being exposed to pesticides even before they eat their first apple or munch on their first carrot, and that's because the chemicals are so prevalently used that they show up in their mother's breast milk. General population illnesses are on the rise, including asthma, autism, and learning disabilities, birth defects, and reproductive dysfunction, diabetes, Parkinson's, Alzheimer's, and types of cancer. So what we have is that most of our food is laced with pesticide residues that can't be washed off. Only organically grown food is free from that concern. Then the genetically engineered crops have developed that are developed and marketed to withstand huge amounts of herbicides and pesticides spraying are causing millions of acres of super weeds to grow as well as causing superbugs, which are resistant to the chemicals they were created to destroy them. <laughs> and then the pollinating insects, which help to make sure we have a tremendous variety of foods, have been absolutely decimated by the chemical herbicides and pesticides. They got rid of the bees, they got rid of the butterflies, Simply, and other pollinating insects are dying at an unprecedented rate. And even our ocean life is being contaminated by the pesticide runoff. So the fish, the crabs, the seals, the microalgae have been affected by the amount of chemicals we use to allegedly grow food. Agricultural practices that rely on this type of chemical addiction are stripping the soil of nutrients with unbelievable implications. They're devastating the nutritional value of crops. 
They're making dramatic changes at an alarming rate. And in less than a lifetime, to be specific, they're going to kill us. And as an example, there has been a 41 to 100% decrease in vitamin A in six foods are apples, bananas, broccoli, onions, potatoes, and tomatoes. And of them, the onion and potatoes saw a 100% loss of vitamin A in a 40-year-old span from 1951 to 1999. And despite these ridiculous and these horrendous and these concerns, the U.S. Environmental Pollution Agency gives the green light to a new concoction of health-harming chemicals used by big ag companies every month. So if 34,000 registered pesticides haven't been enough to grow food for the world, hey, don't worry, new and more dangerous combinations of these chemicals will, you know, hopefully magically solve the problem. So is it any wonder that people are turning to organic farming process practices and demanding organic pesticide-free food? No, it's not alarming. It makes sense. But what doesn't make sense is when you go buy food and you look and you look at a label, you can see what the fat is, what the salt is, what the sugar is, how many calories. You can read all the ingredients. You can read everything. Yes, Monsanto pays everybody off, so you don't know if it's genetically modified. Because they say, hey, there's nothing wrong. It doesn't create problems. There's no problem with GMOs. <laughs> it's really safe, yeah. So if you, if you go online and you put in, um, oh, God, what's her name? Stephanie Seneff, Steph, Dr. Stephanie Seneff, S-E-N-E-F-F, and autism. You want to put that in. Or Dr. Stephanie Seneff and cancer. Or just put in Dr. Stephanie Seneff. You will find a report by this Massachusetts Institute of Technology person that GMOs are killing us. And yet, the biotech industry says, oh, she's full of shit. She doesn't know what she's talking about. She is not getting paid off by the pharmaceutical industry. She's not getting paid off by Monsanto. She's not getting paid off by anybody. She's just doing an independent study. This lady has been on my radio show several times. She has come to Hawaii and given lectures several times. She is amazing because all she does is tell the truth. But yet, why, if you, if, if, you know how you can tell somebody who works for Monsanto and the biotech industry, if they're walking down the street and their nose is like three feet long out in front of them, you know that they work for a, a health-destroying company because they're always saying that it, their product is safe and it doesn't cause problems. And isn't that kind of what Pinocchio did? 
I mean, we've got situations here. I called one of our city councilmen, Pinocchio. He got really upset. I don't know why he got upset, but we have a rail fiasco going on in Hawaii. Um, they they want to give us a rail system, which uh, I don't have a problem with the rail system. It gets more people to where they got to go faster because there's a lot of cars on the island of Oahu, and traffic is at standstill. But to go with steel on steel, an antiquated system that is already approaching $7 billion in cost, when they could go with something like maglev, which is just as efficient but more economical, that would never reach a billion dollars, that would maybe go at best six or seven hundred million, which is better? Which would you rather have? Six or seven hundred million or seven billion? Obviously, you would want to go in the millions. But you know what? They never even allowed the people to vote on it. What they did was Councilman E. Kaika Anderson lied. In 2010 or 2011, he said, if we change from steel on steel, the government would take back their money that they funded us, $200 million. The agreement with the feds was not signed or written until 2012. So how could this guy say this a year before it was valid? The reason why he said it was, if you're in a process of $7 billion, do you think that the degree of kickbacks would be greater than if you had something for $700 million? <laughs> yeah, I'm telling you. So no matter where you turn, no matter what, and we've got a hearing coming up, I believe it's next week, and I'm going to go there and bring up that point, that why don't you, if something is going to affect the people, why don't you allow the people to vote on it? Just because we elect a politician, and a politician gets into office, and then he says, oh, these people were smart enough to elect me, but I'm smarter than they are, and I can make the decision for them before they, because they don't have the capability to render an objective, uh, forthwith decision. This is the way it is. And then, to make it even worse, guys and politicians, the federal guys are the worst, because they make quarter million dollars a year, and then once they serve in office for four years or whatever it is, even if they lose the next election, even if they retire, they get that same amount of money for life. They don't have to worry about retirement plans. They don't have to. They're exempt from Social Security. So why, you know, everybody in America has a job. How come it's not a job when you become a politician? Why can't they get a salary just like everybody else with a deduction for Social Security? And when they retire or when they lose an election and they're not 65, I'm using that as an example because I know the Social Security rate is up to about 67 now, but 
if they don't, and they're still eligible to work, and they're not 65, and they can't get Social Security yet, why don't they just go out and get another job like everybody else has to do? Why do they just have to just take our tax dollars to support losers? I don't understand that. And then when they finally become 65, 6, 7, whatever it is, then they can file for Social Security and they can live just like the rest of us. Why are they special? They're not special. All they are are hookers for the chemical companies. And the people that make payoffs, like the biotech industry and all these people, this is all they're good for. So for me, we have a presidential election coming up. Hey, we elected Barack Obama, and that was an Obama nation. It turned out to be an abomination, right? That was the worst of the worst. Then we got Hillary Clinton. If she gets elected, she's going to accommodate Bill by bringing Monica Lewinsky back into the White House. So at least he's got some R&R that he can deal with. You know, the guy might be a moron. The guy might be the most bold, unbelievable dunce that could happen. But I can't see Donald Trump being any worse than what we've had for the last 12 years. <laughs> so I don't know. So anyway, I'm just pointing it out to you. You, you, not me, you, have to make a choice. And the only way you can rid your body of all the crap that's in it is by going on an organic plant-based diet. Get rid of your vitamins, get rid of your minerals, get rid of your supplements, get all of, rid of everything and start taking organic sulfur. That will burst just about everything. That's what I did. And I'm healthy. And I'm playing ball. And I'm doing stuff that I never thought someone could do when they're over 77 years old. I'm in three softball leagues. I do stand-up paddling. I swim a thousand yards three times a week. I don't take meds. I don't have any illnesses. Nobody's special. So, look, I've got a couple of minutes here. Maybe a couple of seconds. But let's do it to his thing. And catch you all next week. Aloha. have increased over 40%. Energy prices have increased over 20%. Wheat and gas prices have increased over 70%. What's going to be next? Do you see these trends reversing or even stabilizing? All fiat currencies have always failed and collapsed their economies on their way down. The Roman Empire, China, France, Argentina, Finland, Mexico, Russia, and Zimbabwe all tried fiat currency and all collapsed into chaos. 
Meanwhile, the dollar has lost over 97% of its gold value since 1971, when an ounce of gold was valued at $35. If your assets are in paper, you are in danger. Protect your assets with gold and silver. Visit Discount Gold and Silver Trading at DGSCoins.com. That's DGSCoins.com or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 800-375-4188. Protect yourself and your family. I'm Alfred Adisk, and this is the American Independence Hour for, what is this, Tuesday, the third day of November, year of our Lord, 2015. Remind you that I am a man made in God's image, as per Genesis 1, through 28, and therefore given dominion over the animals. I can't be deemed an animal without violating my freedom of religion. Uh... I am endowed by my Creator with certain unalienable rights, as declared in the second sentence of the Declaration of Independence. And third, that I am broadcasting from within the borders of the state of Texas. That's a member of the Perpetual Union styled the United States of America. And having said that, and got my rabbit's foot and a four-leaf clover, I'm good to go. My co-host is Frank Stefan. Frank, are you there? I am. Are you enjoying yourself? Are you glad to be there, Frank? Oh, I am. Thrilled. Uh-huh. 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 I'm not sure that you're sincere when you say that, but... I'm we're running for office, too. You're running for office? Not really. I'm just well, lying. See, I'm practicing to run for office. Ah, I get it. <laughs> See. Yeah. Yeah, I'm well not really. For, I'm just saying I am, but I'm practicing to do so. You got to get the, you know, you got to get good at lying. I know that. I understand. It's an old joke, but it always cracks me up, and I've said it a bunch of times. Mickey Rooney was the first time I heard it. He was talking about being an agent in Hollywood, and he said the secret of success to that particular pro- profession was sincerity. And once you learned how to fake that, you had it made. Yeah. Well, it's the same thing with politicians. The yep. secret of being a successful politician is is sincerity, and once you learn how to fake that, you got it made, and that's what you're working on right now, Frank. I know. By telling know. us lies. I'm just. What, what office are you running for? Nothing yet. But oh, nothing yet. Yes, yes, yes president. President. I was thinking of maybe emperor. Well, I that you know, I, you got to start somewhere. Well, I understand that. You want to work your way up, <laughs> yeah. start at the presidency, and yeah. work your way up to emperor. You know, you, you, that sincerity thing is funny because, I mean, it rings so true, but then, I know. but then 
We look at somebody like Hillary Clinton, and you have to be kidding me. Who really, in their right mind out there, believes that woman is sincere? I understand about anything other than perhaps... I want to be president. Yeah, that and her sexual relationships. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I think she's sincere about her sexual relationships. Um, She may have had as much interest in Monica Lewinsky as As President Clinton did. Maybe I don't know that the interest ever went anywhere, but it may be one of the things that makes her mad. Yeah. That rotten bill stealing my girlfriends. Yeah, I know. Joe's always moving in on her (laughs) turf. So she's going to show him, and once she's president, then... Well, she's keep that girl Uma away from him. Yeah, I understand. I mean, when the books are written, when the butler finally writes the <laughs> the unauthorized biography or whatever, it's going to be... It's, the movie potential is huge. He better have outlived her, because if anybody tries to write a book like that, I don't think they, you know... They're accident-prone. Yeah, I understand that. A lot of people became singularly unlucky who knew Bill Clinton. I've said this before, but this Congressman Dannemeyer, if I recall correctly, out of California back in the first year or so of the Clinton administration, I think that had put it back about 93, 94, somewhere in there. Dannemeyer calculated that there were 26 individuals who had been close to Bill Clinton who had been murdered or died under mysterious and or violent circumstances. And I've always thought, I don't know 26 people today in all my life. I don't know 26 people who died. you got the parents, got the uncles and aunts. Yeah, yeah. Try to put it all together. And who of them, none of them died under, under unusual circumstances. But Bill had 26 then, and, and subsequent reports and studies indicated the number went up. Last I heard, yeah. it was something like 42, and I don't know where it is now. Well, I exaggerate a little bit and say they have warehouses of dead bodies behind mm-hmm. them, you know, because uh, that whole, you know, uh, we're, we're talking about, you know, when you say these numbers, these are people in Washington. This is politics, the Clinton political, you know, uh, people that are dead. They're not even counting any of the criminals that nobody knows of involved in the MENA drug running thing. You know, I mean... That's true. That's know, true. These guys have a whole think, other business going on. Do you think Clinton, <laughs> operating on the assumption that he was associated with some of these peculiar demises, <laughs> do you think Clinton did this as an act of vengeance and trying to enforce his power? Or was he merely trying to drum up support in the National Undertakers Association? I mean, I he sold a lot of coffins. I think you understand? Was, I mean, the yeah, Undertakers yeah. should have been. I'm voting, voting for Bill Clinton, boy. Well, he's keeping he's keeping us in business. Well, everybody's got their business. They help. Uh, Barack Obama helps the gun industry. You know, by every time he gets out there and says, mm-hmm. "Hey, we need to ban, ban some guns," bang, sales are up. But uh, yeah, no. I think Bill Clinton was basically, and I, I, you know, I honestly, and I, you know, I can't prove this or anything, but I don't really think it, it, it's so much Bill Clinton as it is Hillary Clinton. I think Hillary Clinton was going behind Bill, cleaning up his mess. Oh, well, you're a potential threat. You have to have an accident. You're a potential threat. you got to go away, uh, you know, because this is, a, you know, Bill's an idiot, and he's, you know, this is, hey, I'm going to be president here, and... uh 
I can't have you screwing it up. That's what well, I think went on, really. I think I'm inclined to think that Bill was the mastermind and she was the sorcerer's apprentice. Ah, okay. And she learned from the master over the years, and now she says, I know as much as that idiot does, so I can get the brooms to haul water for me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't know, but either way, you know, if they if they disappear tomorrow, I would think it's probably a good day. Yeah, you know, I think it could happen too. The world could do without the Clintons, really. I, it could I happen it be right. because you know a lot of people get zoomed up <laughs> into those UFOs and they just disappear. Yeah, you can find out all about it on the internet. There's there's hundreds or thousands of articles explaining about how people are taken away. Sure, but every day and year by they also say those, or someone these UFOs are advanced people and they're not going to take the Clintons if they are. You know, they're gonna take, they're gonna go elsewhere. I think they're gonna be like, well, come on, I know we can do better than this. Kind of like looking but at they the may Republican have debate. They may have museums or something. You know, where we go to the museum and we see that diorama where they have the Neanderthals. Yeah, well, this standing around in their skins, holding a club or a deer, or whatever it is they've caught. Maybe. Well, they could. Bill and Hillary, kind of a primitive variety of the. Uh, of the mankind species. This would be it more. Might be the, I think this would be more the Madame Trudeau's uh, uh, house of wax of criminals. You know where they've got all the. <laughs> you know the, if they were going to take their Clintons. Are you spelling that wax W A X? Wax. W H A C K S. Well, hey, whichever think, we can I get to Clinton go. I think Clinton was more the house of wax yeah, rather whichever, than the house of wax. Whichever one we my... can get to go, but you know those. Uh, I mean, like I say, you know, it's like looking at the Republican. I don't even look at the Democrat thing because it's just a joke. Everybody's up there. Sure, Bernie Sanders, is he doesn't stand a chance. And, you know, it's Hillary, Hillary, Hillary. I mean, the Democrats have decided who it's going to be already. But the Republicans, uh, you know, you look over there and you go, well, okay, I can be entertained as much as the next guy. But then I look back and say, you know, I've been aware. I don't think that's true. What? I don't think that's true. I get the impression that you're not really one for dancing with the stars. <laughs> well, no. But that means you can't be entertained as much as the next guy. Maybe not. As a little much more as critical. But I a little can more hold. critical about these debates than yeah. the average American. A little bit. But, I mean, I look at these guys and I go, okay, hey, that's a pretty good zinger by Trump. That's pretty good. I like that. Hey, then I start thinking, wait a minute. I've been aware of Donald Trump for decades. You know, uh, I lived in Atlantic City, actually, and Donald Trump was really big there. I mean, you know, he had a, one of the first casinos there. Uh, he had, uh, you know, Mike Tyson fights at that in Atlantic City at that uh, casino. And, uh, you know, so I, I, I made it a point to, well, who is this Trump guy? You know, and I, I never liked him. Okay, yeah. I, I never liked him. I didn't. I, I looked at his, sh you know, saw like an episode of his show, and I thought, huh, that's that's nice catchphrase. You know, you're fired. Uh, but pretty much the rest of it was uninteresting to me, and you know, I didn't like him. You know, he's kind of a jerk used car salesman. But yeah, who got who got lucky? But right. yeah, well, he was born into the money. His dad car lot. And uh, in the South Bronx, and he's now regarding himself as a big man. Sure, and you know his dad was the one that made the money. He just hasn't lost it all. You know that's all. 
That's but, something. That's more than a lot of people can say. That's true. That is true. And, uh, you know, but now it's it's just it's that whole sliding scale thing that's really, I think, bad news. You know, I mean, we can look at it and go, oh, yeah, in school, that is bad news. You know, now, now you've got uh, school districts in California. If you get 20% right, you pass. You get a D. Yeah, I know. That's insane. You know, Especially but if, if it's multiple guests. Yeah. You and know, there's only four questions. Odds <laughs> are you're going to get at least 25% just in A right. every single time. A, 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 A. Out of 20, you only got four answers and you hit A. Odds are you're going to get 20% or more correct. Well, and if you got 100 questions and you just take the pencil and start, you know, randomly checking things, you should No, random 50%. is dangerous because, see my point, if it's 25%, we're going to have to suppose... I'm going to suppose that 20%, or if there's only five, four possible answers, then in theory, 25% of all the A's should be yes, and 25% of the B's should be A, yes, and, and the C's should be S, and the D's should be S, if there's only four. And that's what you, what you need to do is you've got to hit 20% to win. Yeah. All well, you got to do is both pass. straight A all the way down. Sure. You know. And in theory, unless they are making the answers random, now that that would be unfortunate. Yeah, well, you're, you see, you're not taking any chances with this 20%, are you? I mean, I'm looking well, at 100 playing questions. Playing the odds. Going, hey, just playing the odds. I'm looking you know? at 100 questions and thinking, hey, you know what? Just get in there randomly, and you're probably going to get right around 50%. That's a C. You know, so, I mean, I'm, I'm hey, I'm going to college here. So if you get... <laughs> Sixty-five percent correct. Hey. In my day, that would have been a flunk. Today, it's an A. I think it's a B, actually. B? Because, yeah, because okay. you know, and and then you add the dreaded sliding scale. So if you know the the best, the smartest kid in your class, you know, only got you know eighty of them right, well then that's where we start. You know, we don't start at 100. But you only need 20% of 80. Right. <laughs> yeah. 20% of 100 to get to where to, to pass. You need yeah. 20% of 80. Yeah, and that's where we're and at in <laughs> politics. You know, that's it's dangerous to be a smart kid, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, yeah, you can make I mean, a lot better, of enemies. Better if, you're, if you're really smart, you better make sure you don't get more than 50 correct. Well, and if you're really smart, you're going to the stupid kids and shaking them down for some payoff. You know, saying, hey, look, yeah, you know, I can throw enough. a few of these uh, questions. I can throw <laughs> Kids are tend to be a little on the on the large and uh, I don't know well, primate. Yeah, but if they want primate into the pendulum, and they will come <laughs> rise up in a game. But if they want to pass, they'll play ball. Mm. You know, I mean. But <laughs> I look at the politics, especially the Republicans, like that because you know, yes, I do look at Donald Trump and say, well, okay, out of this crew, uh, if I had to pick somebody, it'd be him. But then I look at the crew and go, yeah, but, you know, this, this is why. You know, he's a, he's a, he's a big mouth used car salesman, and I'm going to pick him. But, you know, that's only because look at the others. It's and really, because you're in the market for a used car. Well, <laughs> what a wait. See, this is the thing about Trump, where other politicians are going to give more entitlements to the poor Trump is going to cut him a deal on a used car. Yeah, there you go. There you go. And you're going to walk so. away happy, just like you always do off a co used car. Like, oh, man, I got a great deal. Yeah, right. That's a great deal. 36 easy payments. Mm-hmm. 
But, but the, the, you know, it's the it's the state of well, the state of the union. I mean, really, you look at the people running for office, and you go, wow, what would say the people of I don't know the 1950s think about this crew of Republicans? Well, I agree. They'd think they were Democrats, probably most yeah, of them. They would. That's what they'd probably say. Yeah. Um, and not even good Democrats, immoral Democrats. On top of that, sure, probably got tattoos on their butt cheeks or something along those lines. Uh, I don't know. The whole thing is bizarre. But it give, again, I give Trump credit. He opened this. Sure. He opened these debates up in a way that we could not have expected or anticipated. I would have expected that, you know, with usual candidates, they'd play patty cake. They'd ask them a fairly uninteresting and unchallenging question, and the candidate would make a fairly uninteresting and unchallenging response, and they'd smile at the audience, and the audience would be sick. Oh, isn't he cute? Yeah. I'm going to vote for the cute one on the right. You know, that becomes... But instead, Trump opened this up. So however it works out, I'm grateful that Trump showed oh, up. Oh, me too. I mean, Whether I, I pay. Hey, honestly, I hope he wins. You know, I, I really do. It's for no other reason, just because it, it probably won't be the same old boring thing we're <laughs> used to. <laughs> yeah, when Trump gets, I don't know. Do you think he'll keep the same wife all the way through? Do you think he'd keep the same wife for a full eight years, or would he change wives? Well, eight years isn't there every two or three years. Po- isn't there a trade-in policy like after four years or something? Something like that. Yeah. I get get you get a new wife and/or a new vice president and a new car. Yeah, Woo-hoo. yeah, no, can't can't keep those things too long. It's a planned obsolescence thing. I understand. Hey, I don't make the rules. You know. Yep. Just, <laughs> yeah. What do you think about Ben Carson? I don't According like to a report him. that came out just today, Carson is ahead of Trump by six percent. I don't believe it, and I don't like him. And uh, mm. you know, I don't like him for a couple of reasons. And one of the reasons is he's a doctor, and he really is a poster boy for the pharmaceuticals. You know, uh, I, I'm sorry. It's just you know, I like some of his stances, like uh, his stance against abortion. I like that, and you know, and and I don't dis- I don't mean I don't like him as a person. I don't like him to be president. I think Ben Carson would be just a great Surgeon General. Yep. You know, I really do. I, I think. Yeah, I agree you know, with you. Trump probably ought to go make him a deal. Listen. Mm-hmm. You know. You uh, throw your support behind me, and uh, if I get in, I, uh, you're going to be Surgeon General. Yeah, I think he'd be good. I, and I think he'd be good for the country. I think he'd be good in that position. As I said earlier today, we had, did the afternoon program with Melody on financial survival. We mentioned this briefly. One of the things that surprises me is that people aren't just turned off after Obama, after having a black guy in the White House and a woman who is acting like a welfare queen, trying to grab every dollar she can find, taking 30 people in, a, in her entourage on one of her vacations someplace. I mean, good God. I mean, this is Negro, Negroes in the White House. This is the way people think. Most people, I'm, I'm surprised. That Ben Carson has come along, people said, "Yeah." Especially the Republicans said, "Yeah, well, right, we can vote for we can vote for another black man." They're not put off by Obama. Um, there's not a racist thing here that's happening, and I think that is a 
strong message to a lot of black people in this country. I mean, the Republicans are prepared to nominate a, at least a significant number of Republicans are prepared to nominate uh, a black man to be president. Well, right? you know. It's evidence that the race, the claims of racism are nowhere near as valid as a lot of people suspect. Well, I believe that's true. They're not, they're not valid like, like is presented. But then again, see, I question these polls. I, for one, do not believe... Ben Carson is leading in, like, say, the popular vote uh, between him and Trump. I just, I don't believe that. It's hard to understand. Whether the polls say it or not, and I think the polls are partially saying this for exactly what you said. I think the Republican, you know, because the Republican, yeah, the media is mostly liberal, but it's not, you know, it's not like the Republican Party doesn't have some juice in the media. They can make things happen also. They maybe can't make as much happen, but they can make some things happen. And they can certainly rig a poll to say, oh, look, Ben Carson, you know, the black guy? Hey, Republicans have put him in the lead. That means we can't be racist, see? And, you know, because I, I, I just don't, I, I don't see it. I don't see... I just don't see Ben Carson with that wide of a support base to be... I agree with that. I agree with that, and the same thing could be said of Hillary, who, according to, again, this poll that came out today from NBC and the and Wall Street Journal, if I recall correctly, but two heavy hitters. Uh, Hillary Clinton is now allegedly pulling in 61 or 63% of the likely Democrat voters are in favor of Hillary, and only 31% or thereabouts, uh, 32, whatever, are in favor of Sanders. Bernie Sanders. Yeah, I, now just just a couple of weeks ago, Sanders had had closed the gap with Hillary, and at least one poll showed him ahead. And now he's behind by thirty one percent. And Hillary, after Benghazi, after the email, after everything we see about her, she is now predominant favorite in the in the Democrat primary. Yeah, is that well, is that true or is that just fabricated? I don't believe it's true because I don't you know I've looked on uh, well YouTube and. You know, they all, Hillary and Bernie, they go out there and they, you know, press the flesh and have meetings and all this other stuff and, you know, town hall, whatever. And Bernie Sanders is filling rooms. Yeah, I know. In he's normal, filling, everyday he's filling stadiums. Right. And right, Hillary he's pulling Clinton, in 20,000 people. Hillary Clinton is not able to fill, even halfway fill, a room at a liberal university. Yeah. You know, so I'm looking at that going, well, now, wait a minute. How can you be 30 points ahead? Mm-hmm. How is that possible? Has everybody just given up and said, ah, we don't need to go to Hillary's thing. We're just going to vote for it because, well, because, because well, I don't know why. Actually, I don't know why anybody would. Because everybody else is. Yeah. That's well, the reason we vote for candidates. It's true. Because everybody else is voting for them, of course. Because you, you don't want, want me to. to I, don't want to, I don't want to cast a losing vote. Well, because that would be wasting it, remember? That's exactly right. <laughs> don't want to waste my vote on somebody who's not going to win. Right, right, right. Might send a message for the next group of politicians in two years or four years that run for office. And that that's why I really think that these polls are out there. This is who they're for. They're for the public, and they just say, well, you know, you can say, oh, yeah, well, okay, so they're lying, but, you know, when the election comes, it's all going to come out, you know. No, not necessarily, because people are, sadly, Americans are not those 
rugged individuals that, you know, we were all taught that we were, you know, mm-hmm. the Marlboro man and everything. Uh, Americans are mostly herd animals. Uh, yeah, they've become yeah. collectivists. Yeah. I Socialists, mean, communists, whatever. Um, and when I say they, I'm not just talking about a handful of Democrats. Or no, 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 no. Half the people in this country allegedly yep. get checks from the government. They are government dependents. They're not supporting themselves. Uh, I can remember one of the things that always, whenever I think about this, I, I think back when I was a kid in the 50s and 60s, and in my mind's recollection, the whole country that I was able to see, and I did some traveling, the whole country I was able to see looked like it had a fresh coat of paint. It really looked bright and hopeful, right? Mm -hmm. And one of the things I understand, I've seen one report that says 25% of the American people were self-employed back then. Yep. They might have had just a little little, uh, storefront. Uh, There was a guy named Heisler back in in Crystal Lake, Illinois, where I grew up. And he, a guy named Heisler, he he fixed shoes and boots. Well, he supported himself and his family, and I remember a guy named Kylie who had a Dodge dealership, and he was selling cars. He was doing fine. My dad, my stepdad was self-employed. He was doing okay. I think it was the secret and the foundation for doing well in, 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 in the economy and the post-World War II economy, and government stepped in, however, and they decided we need more regulation. We need more paperwork to protect the people. Yep. That's why they do this, Frank. Yeah, the well, government you know, is always there to protect good. us. Yes, they're here to help us. And uh, they put, impose more regulations until they reach a point that people who could do the job had to work for somebody else because they couldn't do the paperwork. A lot of people who understood how to do plumbing, sure. how to dig ditches, how to put in basements, build homes, be carpenters and electricians, they understood what had to be done. But the government imposed so much additional regulation on self-employed that they drove them out of business. And now, I don't know, it might be one in 20 were self-employed. Sure. And it's bad for the country. We have not gained any significant degree of safety to compensate for the loss of independence. When you've got 25% of the people are self-employed, you've got 25% of the people understand what it is to be independent and self-supporting. Mm-hmm. But right now, it's, it's, it's something that's forgotten and unknown, and it's taken for granted. Well, you just, you know, sign up for your welfare check or whatever else it is, and uh, don't worry about it. Well, you either sign up for your welfare check or you sign up for your, uh, you know, college loan. And, uh, you know, then you get up and you go to college and then you go work for a corporation if they you haven't taken sign up for welfare. You, get to, you can sign up for welfare, get out of college. You can have a little, when you're a senior in college, they can have a one-semester course, how to maximize government benefits. Yeah, well, right. they in better. Order to graduate, in order to graduate, you've got to pass that course no matter what subject you may have taken. You've got to pass the course on how to apply for government benefits. Well, they better. Because, uh, you know, when these kids get out of college, there's no jobs for them. So, yeah, that'd be uh, probably the most productive class they could take at, at this point. That. Yep. You know, there was this, uh, gosh, this was a couple of months ago, headline, you know, news story, regular news. Uh, a uh, Southern California electric company was openly firing all their IT people. 
because they were hiring H-1B visa IT people for like, you know, $20,000 less a year each. And they were doing it as a, hey, we're it's cost-cutting. Tell us what you mean by IT. Uh, internet technicians, uh, you know that the, you know these are these are these are considered high skilled jobs. I understand that. You know, um, these guys are upper middle class. That's what it's coming down to. They're probably making, I don't know. I mean, median pay in this country. That's what I'd say. Yeah. Eighty thousand and up. Yeah, if and you're so they've hired them to bring in foreigners. Well, actually, they fired them and then just uh, got the H-1B visa. And, you know, all these companies are doing the same thing. They're all firing American workers like Microsoft and Cisco and Oracle. They're all firing their, their high-tech American employees and hiring H-1B visa. Like, oh, you wonder why everybody sounds Indian who's, you know, technical support? That's why. And the thing is, they're going to Congress and saying, hey, we need more H-1B visas. We don't have enough workers. And Congress, of course, is going, well, uh, how much money are you bringing here? And, yeah, oh, right. Yeah, whatever. You yeah, know. We got enough to bribe you guys, but we don't have enough to pay. You know. That's right. And, and they're not telling them, oh, we don't have enough workers. Well, we don't have enough workers because we're firing all the American workers. So mm-hmm. we need more of these guys to fill their positions that we just are letting go. And you're talking, you know, Microsoft fires like 36,000. Uh, other ones, 6,000 gone. You know, I mean, these are not small numbers. Yep. And they're all being replaced. You know, so these are not, oh, the dumb kid who never went to college, who was digging a ditch, who had his jobs taken from a Mexican who came in and digged a ditch cheaper, right? Yep. These are kids who are, you know, fifty, eighty thousand dollars $80,000 in debt for going to college so they can get a decent job, and then they find out, no, sorry, you want too much money, uh, we're hiring these Indian people. Yep. And they and and, and the one one of the points here, and I've said this for a number of years, they talk about the illegal aliens are coming in to take the jobs Americans don't want. That was an absolute lie. We did all these jobs that the Mexicans are doing them. We did them ourselves. It wasn't a problem. We didn't. We the Mexicans didn't take the jobs Americans didn't want. They took away the wages Americans didn't want. Right. All right. There's plenty of people who will rot out your sewer and empty your septic tank and do other unpleasant work if the money's right. Sure. All right? But you can bring in the illegal aliens, and, hey, they'll do it if, even if the money's wrong. They'll still do it just to get something. And the net result is they will diminish the labor scale in this country. They will help make sure that the rich get richer and the middle class is wiped out and the poor get poorer. Yeah, and that's what's happening. You know? you know, I mean, it's you know, you don't even have to project it and say, okay, look, better be careful. This is what's gonna happen because yep. all you gotta do is look around. It is happening. Yeah, I know. I understand. You know, and that's the and thing. It, and who is standing up to speak out against it? Well, do we have anyone in Congress? Anyone in the Senate? No. No, you know they're, why? All, they're all going along with it. The only one who said anything, and you know, he hit a nerve, and he really got a lot of juice from it. Is Trump? Yeah. And my point is, why is it that Congress and the Senate haven't said anything about it? But Trump has. Well, be, Trump doesn't need the money. Right. I just said, you know, right. we got Oracle I and understand. Microsoft and all these but guys. Congress is sitting there saying, I need a couple, I, I got to make a couple more million dollars. 
or my wife is going to, she's gonna, she'll divorce me for sure. Well, yeah, and if I, I got to make more money here. And yeah. if I don't get reelected next time, which I probably won't, because they're going to catch me sooner or later, I got to get me a nest egg, and I got to set me up one of those high-paying jobs at one of these corporations, because that's what ends up happening. Yeah, no, Microsoft will hire a congressman saying, "Okay, look, your job is to lobby Congress," which means he he basically keeps the same job he has, except yep. he's not elected. Yep. That's exactly right. He's an unelected congressman for all practical purposes. <laughs> for for Microsoft or, mm-hmm. or Oracle or yeah. whoever, yeah. you know. Instead of representing a district, he represents a corporation. Yeah. Maybe an industry, but more probably a particular corporation. And based on his, his he, he's already one of these guys who's connected. He can walk in the door, and he knows who to talk to, and the existing congressmen and senators will take the time to listen to him because they know he knows how the game is played, yep. meaning he will bribe them and keep his mouth shut. Yeah, so, and he knows he knows who will take the bribes without saying anything. Yeah, and, that's exactly and, right. And who not to go talk about? Hey, uh, you know, you know, because I think there's probably a few congressmen and senators still that if you walked up to them and offered them a big pile of money, they'd call a cop. You know, I think that. No, I don't know that they'd call a cop, but they may they may refuse. There may be some honor, some seemingly honorable men and women in the Congress and seemingly honorable men and women in the Senate, but from my perspective, that seemingness, that seemingliness is an illusion. And the reason being is, all right, fine. If you're an honorable man, why aren't you blowing the whistle on the rest of the crooks that you're sharing the elevator with? Sure. It's like you the know cop. who they are. You know who they are. There's more to being an honorable man than just not taking bribes yourself. Right. You also have to report those who you know to be taking bribes. And I think most of these congressmen and senators, they know where it's going. They'd have they'd to be, be completely, taking it themselves, you know, but they know. They'd have to be completely, uh, you know, incoherent yeah, I, to not know. Well, you know, I can like understand the cop a first-term congressman. First-term congressman won't necessarily okay, know how to know. Okay. But by the time you get elected the second and certainly third time, you know, mm. all right? Well, you know how this thing is played, and you know who's dirty in the rest Right, of because story. the thing is, if you if you bucked somebody the wrong way, you're not getting elected the next time. Yeah, I agree with you. They'll put the fix in where you live. The Republican Party or the Democrat Party will come in and make sure you don't win. Yeah. I remember we had a secretary of transportation named Paul Simon. Back in is Illinois. Is this the guy who, he what, did he give up his singing career? Nope. Paul Simon, you know. Believe me, I get uh, what you're saying. Um, no, he wasn't that one. He's a different Paul Simon. Uh, um, but in any case, he was responsible for licensing trucks to do business and the whole stuff in the in, in the Illinois and had something to do with the cab business and the rest of that sort of thing, controlling all of that. And when he passed on, they went through his room, he had an apartment, and they looked in the and they looked in the uh you know, they looked in his closet in his bedroom. And up on the top shelf in the closet he had a number of shoeboxes stuffed full of hundred dollar bills. And I don't remember how many tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars he had, but he had it. And the point was, if you wanted to be, the point to me was, and this goes back 40 years ago anyway, 45 maybe, 
But the lesson for me was that if you wanted to be Secretary of Transportation, the Department of Transportation in Illinois, if you didn't take bribes, they'd think something was wrong with you. I don't know that Paul Simon was a greedy man. I don't know that he was a bad man or a corrupt man. I had the impression that he was probably a decent guy. He didn't go out and get go run wild and get a bunch of young women and the rest of that uh, and trips to Tahiti or wherever. Um, he just collected the money. And I think sometimes I think it's one of the ways you prove yourself as part of the gang. You've got to commit acts of corruption yourself, otherwise they won't trust you. Taking bribes? Well, one of the, oh, he's okay. He's okay. I saw him took a, take a bribe the other day. You know, he's all right. Well, this is, you know, I mean, this is not news to any gang member out there. This mm-hmm. is what they do, you know. I mean, oh, you've no. got to be initiated into the gang, you know. Exactly. And, and now you can't tell on us because, hey, we got the goods on you, too. Exactly. We know where, you, we know where your shoeboxes are buried. Yeah, you know. Yeah. But it's, uh, it, it says, I don't see any, uh, honestly, I really believe a collapse is necessary. Not just inevitable and it's not you know it's not something that i would hope for it's not something that i look forward to or anything like that but i really honestly think it's necessary at this point how else how else does this get fixed we talked about that on the on the on the financial survival program earlier today when i was just speculating all right the bank of japan is trying to impose more quantitative easing in order to stimulate the economy in Japan. Despite the fact that it hasn't worked in most of 20 years. Anywhere. (laughs) Yeah, and it's not just in Japan. It's not a cultural phenomenon. It hasn't worked here in the United States, except to the extent it might be responsible for preventing us from going into a depression, but it hasn't really stimulated the economy where we're back saying happy days are here again. Well, I think it put off Maybe yeah, that's, the depression. That maybe all it's did. It didn't. It didn't fix anything. And the point for the Japanese and for the United States and the European Union and for China. China is now trying quantitative easing <laughs> to heal its economy, and Europe is trying to do it over there. And we've kind of given up on it, or at least given up on doing it openly. Um, for now, at least, we'll watch and see if it starts up again. But the lesson appears to be quantitative easing doesn't work. And yet I was reading from an article in Financial Times that said, well, it just needs to amp up. You need to amp up the magnitude. See, the problem is they haven't thrown enough money into the economy of Japan, United States, European Union, and China to to make QE work. But if you just add a little more money, boy, she's going to happen. Well, hey, (laughs) you know, Rupert Murdoch owns the Financial Times. And, uh, you know, if I was Rupert Murdoch, that's what I would think, too. Hey, the the problem here is you haven't given me enough money yet. Everything will be fine once you... What do they think they are, school teachers? (laughs) I mean, that's what the school teachers... If they give us more money, then we'd teach the kids. Yeah, well, yeah, the kids would learn if they... and, And why? Because the kids would feel good knowing that we're well taken care of. Because that's why they don't learn. They're distracted, worrying about the well-being of their teachers. Yeah, that's what, that's what slows them down. That's why they can't read in eighth grade. Yeah. Do you no, know that 80, 80, something like uh, 82% of eighth graders in the Detroit school district cannot read? Not surprised. 86 can't do math. 86% can't do math. In eighth grade, you know, this is just, 
you know, and it's it's kind of like it's kind of like these are the, the people that are going to bitch and moan, and we're talking predominantly. I'm going to assume sure, we're talking Detroit. predominantly black kids. Yep. And these are the kids who are going to be taught to hate Whitey because Whitey be oppressing the brothers and the sisters. Well, which is a bunch of crap. Whitey's not oppressing them. Whitey's just saying, look, can you read? Can you write? Yeah, can you no. do mathematics? And if you can't, go find a job someplace else. Yeah. We're not going to hire you. We're looking for a brain surgeon. Yeah. You understand? We're not looking for somebody who can't read or write. What I'm trying to get to, and I've, you know, an idea that's becoming increasingly clear in my mind, is that the problem that the Negro community has in this country is that a substantial portion of them are members of the nigger culture. Right? It's not about their race. It's about their culture that holds them down. They want to blame Whitey for holding them down. You know, you go ahead in Detroit and send your kid to school, black parents, send your kid to school and with with a good foundation and an interest in learning mathematics and, and history and reading and writing and so on. And he'll get the crap beat out of him by the other black kids or say you're acting too white. Yep. Because the black kids understand that white is not a race, it's a culture. A black man can be white. A Negro can be white. Negro is a race. Caucasian is a race. White is a culture. Black is a culture. Nigger is a culture. It's a system of values. We have, we have people that say, oh, we've got to have you know, black lives matter. Really? They don't matter to niggers. I watch black films on a fairly regular basis. I find them fascinating. Mm -hmm. They are, in a sense, Norman Mailer defined the word fascinating back in the 50s probably as attractive and repulsive at the same time. Something that was fascinating was both at the same time. I watched black films once in a while. They, they, and, you know, there are interesting things about it. For example, you will see films that are put out by corporate America. And they got Denzel Washington in there, and he's playing a positive role, typically. Mm -hmm. All right? And those films that are put up by corporate America, and you could even say white America, they extol the virtue of blacks, Negroes. But if you see the productions that are clearly the work of black producers, black directors, and so on, they don't have as much, anywhere near as much money behind them, but I've watched them, and film after film after film, their fundamental philosophy is bleak. Yeah. They understand that they are essentially born to die in a gunfight or whatever, or in the slammer, or whatever. There is, you, you are going to go through a long, uh, a lot of black films made and produced by black actors, black producers, black directors, funded by blacks. They'll tell you the truth of the situation, and it is bleak, all right? And they get that. It's the white production that says, oh, you know, the, the, you know everything's going to be great for blacks. No, it's not. No, it's really not. It goes to this culture. It goes to this idea. It's not about whether you're black, whether your skin is dark or light. It's not about whether you're Negro or Caucasian. It's about whether you are black or white. What system of values have you absorbed? No, absolutely. It's the white system of values that is essentially Christendom that has made the difference in Europe for centuries and the United States for a couple of centuries and Australia and a couple other places. No, I, I wipe that out. Who's going to who's going to provide the food to feed everybody? 
Well, it's the values, 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 not race, values. I've mentioned this a couple of times uh, in the last, you know, since I got out of, you know, core school in the Navy, you know, which is a pretty, uh, you know, it's a pretty uh, academic school as far as military goes, you know, and uh, we we had three men to a room in our dorm. It was real nice, and uh, both of my roommates were black. And one of them, he was from Philadelphia, and if you talked to him on the phone, you wouldn't know he was black. And this guy studied, okay? He wasn't naturally smart, but he, but he, worked at he did the work and he got A's. Yeah. But he did do the work. Yep. And how I know he did the work was because me and the other black guy, who was really, truly, and I say this affectionately because he was my friend. Yeah. We'd go out partying together. But he was a nigger. Yeah. And we had great fun as the cracker and the nigger at bars, uh, you know, just uh, hooting up a storm there and then getting everybody all tense and, you know, oh, my God, oh, my God, and then laughing about it. They didn't like us too much for that, but it was a lot of fun. And he was he gets also... the crap beat out of you by the Mexicans. <laughs> See, he you damn crackers and niggers <laughs> go up cracking jokes in our bar, and we're going to beat the... You know, the thing was, though, he was also smart. But he was just, you know, me and him got along, and we were kind of the same. You know, hey, let's just pass the test, get through this, and party. You know, have a good what time. What makes you so sure I'm not the guy you can't tell over the phone whether I'm black Yeah, or... well, that's right. <laughs> I may be that guy, you know, I say, hey, how you doing there, Frank? Yeah, yeah. but he Long did, time no see. as we went out, you know, okay, class is over, we don't have duty, <laughs> we're throwing on our civilian clothes and heading out to the bars. Yeah. He's at the desk, you know, and we always say, you want to go out? No, 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 I got to, you know, we got this test tomorrow, <laughs> blah, 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 and it's like, yeah, we know, we're in the same class, you know, uh, but we're going out. See ya. And he he would study and go to sleep. Well, from early. my perspective, if I had to guess, I would say when when I'm comparing when comparing whether the race to the culture idea, I would say the guy you're describing. He may be Negro, but he was white. Yeah, a- everything he was a white about Negro. Him. Everything right? about him. Negros, was. they're black. They're black Negroes. Yeah, or not even black Negro. I don't know where you put it in, but <laughs> I'm just trying to communicate. I'm not trying to raise a storm on this thing, but I'm just saying it's something that has to be understood. Black is a culture. White is a culture. Both of them are systems of values. When you embrace a system of values that will keep you, help you to live until you're 90 years old, all right, that's one thing. If you're going to embrace, if you're going to embrace another system of values, another culture that's going to get you shot and killed before you're 25, that's do which culture do you want to embrace? Oh, yeah. And you got the black people that are being the Negro people that are being taught you can't be acting white. Right? There's people in the community. They're the ones that are oppressing the brothers and the sisters. Well, they really are. It ain't the white man. It's the black man or the niggers are saying, don't you be acting white. Well, and, they, and they've got a good reason. Have? How much trouble did your friend have who could pass over the phone for being white? Oh, well, with us, you know, where in, where he was, he didn't have any trouble. But I'm sure back in Philadelphia he may have. But then again, this was in 1981. Yeah. And things weren't like they are now. I mean, blacks, yeah, they had, you know, their their groups and that, but 
there wasn't this... I'm telling you, I get the sense, maybe I'm wrong, maybe I'm imagining it, but since Obama became president, race relations have seemed to deteriorate in this country. Well, I agree with you. They're not getting better, but is it because of Obama or is it because of the economy? Well, I think, you know, I, I don't think they're exclusive, but, you know, I think Obama had a lot to do with it because, really, uh, you know, and I have heard, you know, and read black people who recognize that Obama has failed them. Hmm? You know, but as, they are a minority, a minority within a minority. Well, and I, I'm not so sure that they're a minority that people realize that he failed them. They just don't care. We're vote, we love them anyway. We're voting for him anyway because he's black. Yeah, I get that. We're black, he's black. But that's and another point. Is he? No. Is he? <laughs> no, he's not. But he right? passed himself off as black. And that well, ought to he be passed himself that. off, in my opinion, as white. He got elected as a white man. That's hmm. the way I read this. He was. He embraced the white culture. He allegedly went to Harvard Law School. All right? He spoke. He, he spoke articulate English. He didn't walk around with his pants around his hip and his hat on sideways. That was a white man. Barack Obama was elected as a white man. I would argue that he is ruling as something other than a white man. Right? Now that he got into office, he played the white man. That got him into office. Now he's got some power. Now I think we're seeing his true color or his true culture. But he got elected, in my opinion, he's a white guy. Like Ben Carson. He's a white guy. Right? He's black. He's a Negro, but he's a white man. Right, because he has embraced. You don't get to be a you don't get to be a brain surgeon by uh, you know hanging out with your homies in the hood. No, All right. That guy had to sit down and work and study and teach and learn things. Mm -hmm. And it's part of the white culture to do that. It is not part of. I mean, it's not clear that it's part of the black culture. You know, it's, it's really certainly sad, not Al. part of the Negro, the nigger culture. What's really sad, Al, is the fact that you know, it, well, as you mentioned this, I'm getting it, and I'm I'm also recognizing that, gosh, a whole culture, yeah, has basically been wiped out. Also, because okay, while Ben Carson and this guy I went to school with, you know, they had dark skin and they were Negro, but they acted white, they sound white, they put they they have embraced white culture as far as, hey, you got to work, you got to study, and then you get ahead, you make money, and, you know, there you go. But, you know, there used to be a black culture where they retained, you know, a lot of this uh, uh, stuff that we see out of these kids wearing their hats sideways and all this stuff. But they also had jobs at the time. They had their own community. They had their own music. They had their own clubs. Harlem in the 30s was not like Harlem now. You know, I mean, they had, yeah, it was segregated. Yeah, but, and, and it was their culture. But their culture retained some things that we shared in the white culture, which was hard work, raising your family, things like that. You know, and businesses. I think. There was a point in time when the, the Negroes, did what they yeah. could to own their own businesses. Now, no. you know, they're just owning the post office box where their welfare check comes in, and that's an that's an exaggeration, and it's certainly not true of everybody who's sure. here. But the thing is, what we had in common, white culture and black culture, was Christian values. Yeah, and you we know, don't have we don't share that anymore. No, no. Pat Buchanan was the one who made the observation in one of his books probably six, eight, ten years ago. 
He described Europe as Christendom. And he described, and what he was talking about was the culture that came out of Europe and came to the United States. It was Christendom. And when we say white, ultimately that's what we really mean. That's certainly a big part of it. I won't say that it's everything, but it's fundamental from my perspective. This is evidence. We're losing the whites, not losing the Caucasians. If we're losing the whites, we are losing the spiritual war that's going on here. And if you want to win that spiritual war, you're going to have to identify what are the values of what I regard as the white culture. Not the white race, the white culture. And if you want to hang on to that, recognize those values, stand up and fight for them. Teach them to your kids, to your family, speak out in their favor of them in front of your politicians or wherever. And to understand this whole thing about black, white, niggers, negroes, rest of it, the whole thing is so convoluted and complex that it's difficult to talk about because it's hard to even know what the terms mean. <laughs> yeah. Right? Well, but what I'm saying, look, we got negroes, we got Caucasians, we got Asians. Basically, three three fundamental races. You can throw in some others probably in the rest of that. Oh, wait a minute. You've got three races, and then you have a number of cultures. And we can have, it's not as if Christendom, the white culture, is monolithic. We have subcultures within the white culture, and one of them might be redneck. Yeah. A culture, a system of values, all right? And if you're going to embrace the redneck culture well you get yourself a big old ford pickup truck with giant wheels on it tractor wheels and go down and get yourself involved in one of these mudding contests where you try to make it through the they through a giant mud puddle in your truck it's fun it's interesting but you're not likely to get rich being a redneck right no but the if thing you want to get rich, it was just fine you don't have to get rich but you can't complain Right. Say, oh, I didn't get rich. And I said, well, what are you doing with your truck? Well, I broke an axle running through the mud puddle in order to, you know, fooling around. That's not a for It's fun. Maybe fun. That's what you want. You want to dedicate your life to fun? Have fun. But don't complain and say, oh, I dedicated my life to fun. Or, oh, I dedicated my life to violence. Or, oh, I dedicated my life to basketball and I didn't get rich. And that's proof that somebody's discriminating against me. No, it's proof that you embrace the wrong culture, or at least it's evidence. I won't say it's proof. But or, it's hey, evidence. things just didn't work out for you. Get over it. And Move sometimes on. That's, that's the truth. Even if you do embrace the right culture, sure. if there is one that could be said to be right, if you embrace even then, you don't necessarily mean you live happily ever after, but it increases sure. the probability. You sit back and say, yeah, I'm behaving white. What does that mean? Okay, I got a wife, I got three kids, we got a stable marriage, we got a house, we got a car, blah, 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 maybe two cars. All right, it's not necessarily an exciting situation, but there's a kind of stability there that you're not going to find. Say, so, oh, I'm a nigger. Hey, you know, and one of the things that gets me, you watch these movies as the blacks put out, and one thing you will hear the nigger say. And they call each other niggers all the time, and I'm sure you understand. Hey, nigger, hey, my nigger, hey, the rest of them. But they will stand up and sometimes tell you, a nigger doesn't care. That's not a white person speaking. That is a nigger speaking. Niggers don't care. Meaning they don't care if they kill other niggers. They don't care if they get killed themselves. And that's particularly interesting to me because we've got this business about, we've got to have black lives matter. They do? Matter to who? They don't, have, they don't matter to niggers. Well, Are we supposed to say they should matter? Oh, we got to be especially careful. of. We white people got to be especially careful of 
black lives. Yes, we have to be very careful. But the blacks don't have to be careful. The niggers don't have to be careful. Niggers don't care. They say so. It's part of the mantra of being a nigger, embracing that culture. So, ah, niggers don't care. And they, say, and they do this, say, essentially, I don't care if I don't have anything. I don't care if I don't have a car. I don't care if I don't have a family. I don't care about anything. I'm a nigger. You do care. You just don't want to admit it. You don't want to admit how much it's hurt you. Well, but you sure. And if you don't care. It's not because you're being oppressed by Caucasians. You're being oppressed by, your, by fellow Negroes who insist that you better not start acting white. You start acting too white. We're gonna—they're the ones that are oppressing the blacks. Well, if you weren't, you know, if you weren't, if you didn't care, you wouldn't be griping about people holding you back. Yeah, I understand. You know, it's like so you do care, you know. And yeah, that whole Uncle Tom thing has been on, you know, going on for quite a while uh, in that particular culture, and that culture has spread. You know, that's what spread. Yeah, sure. In some communities in the worst parts of the country, you know, Uncle Tom this, Uncle Tom that, you know, and they had that thing where, oh, yeah. you know, blacks couldn't act white, but it wasn't as widespread as it is now. And now it's even in the media. Yeah, I know. You know, and you got white kids with their head, you know, their hat turned sideways and their pants down by their ankles and, uh, you know, playing this. And uh, what do they call know, themselves? Wiggers. Yeah. Whites who want to be niggers. Yeah. That's what wigger means. Whites who want to be niggers. I look at it, and some, my God, it's a tragedy, for God's sake. But they are coerced. They, in order to not get the crap beat out of them, they've got to pretend to be niggers. Well, you got to wonder where their parents are at, too. You know, because, I mean, you know, I don't care if I was getting the crap beat out of me at school. If I came home... Well, you probably deserved it. I would probably... <laughs> yeah. If I came home with my head, you know, my pants around my ankles and my hat sideways and talking like these guys do, my, uh, you know, it would have been trouble for me. I, I, the worst thing I had to worry about is coming home. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.